What's up, Dream Warriors? Welcome back to our fourth and final episode of our Spooktober special. This week, myself, Mark, and Brooke are joined by the third coolest member of the Horror Movie Crew podcast, Josh. Wow, thank you. That's quite the introduction. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the third coolest podcast, horror podcast, um, podcast on the internet next to you guys, but I'm like way down there then. <laughs> that you're hurts. The third, you're the third coolest member on the third coolest podcast. That's cool. That's cool. Well, you know, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> you you got to start. It's only, it's only yeah. up, you know, I'm, I can only go up from here. That's right. Can't give me too much credit right off the bat. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, I'm not going to come <laughs> on here like Anthony from Porcelain Peak and just make your guys' head so big <laughs> that they won't fit through the door. Yeah, you guys have some pretty contrasting uh, ideas. Who's that? You and Anthony. Oh, how so? Do tell. Well, because he loves us and you hate us. I don't hate anyone. Hate is a very strong word. <laughs> All right. Let's fucking get going. Um, Josh, what movies are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about two. This, this sounds very familiar, doesn't it? We're talking about two of my favorite movies, Halloween from 1978 <laughs> and Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007. All right. And uh, yeah, so when Brooke and I, well, actually Brooke came up with the idea to do this month of remakes versus the originals, and we obviously knew that we had to do the Halloween movies. And we figured, what better fucking guest to have on here than you? Oh, thank you. All you do is talk about Scream and Halloween. <laughs> you sound like Seth. <laughs> no, but we, uh, we wanted to have somebody on here that shared the same feelings that we have of the Rob Zombie remake. And we're not going to say what those feelings are just yet, but we'll get into it later on. <clears throat> Um, so Josh, do you want to take a minute, just, uh, kind of plug your podcast a little bit before you hop into this one? Yeah. So like, uh, like Mark said, I am one of three hosts of the horror movie crew podcast. I think Mark, you and I had this argument earlier. I think we've been out since May. Um, we just released our 21st. So we do a little different, uh, setup. We have what we call HMC episodes, which are all, episodes that we uh pick and then we have episodes that we call Kruby's request which all of the listeners send in and we pick one of those and go over those so anyway uh we just posted our 21st hmc episode um and yeah we've been having a, a ton of fun it's, it's kind of similar to what you guys do um our our goal is to take movies we love we we dive into them we go scene by scene we talk about the scenes that stick out and mean the most to us and then obviously pertinent scenes to the movie and then uh, we also dabble in some fun facts and uh the whole time we just talk shit to each other so if you like uh, horror movies and comedy we might be for you definitely i don't know did that yeah. does that sound about accurate you guys listen don't you yeah i'd say it's about it sounds about accurate <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys have been we, on we, yeah we talked about terrifier on your episode. yeah it was a good time. Brooke's favorite movie. Hmm. Maybe. I'm trying to fuck. Uh, all right. Um, do you guys want to... Actually, what are we drinking tonight? Josh, we all know what you're fucking drinking, so... One guess. Go ahead. Let's see what you got. Uh, vodka soda. 
Baca soda, no. <laughs> the old Millers, baby. I've got here. You guys, will, nobody can see this, but you guys can even see. All right, so I got my Eric Church koozie. You guys know I love Eric Church. Yeah. yeah. And inside of this beauty is a mill. You guys probably can't. There we go, Miller Light. There but it is. just for this episode, because you guys want up me on our episodes, you guys brought the uh, pint, the pint cans. So my lovely wife went through the drive-through on her way home today. She got me this bad boy. Whoa! Can you there see you that? Go. I got the tall boy Miller lights tonight, just for you guys. I will Very not nice. be. I will not be outdone <laughs> by you Canadians. You're playing with the big boys now. Mm-hmm. We'll see. <laughs> all right all right well i'll crack mine as well i got uh the miller light as well oh from nice. our boy. and also repping the horror movie crow crew shirt oh shit it came in oh beautiful man look we're it we're did. like we're like brothers we are Where, where's yours at mark i don't have one uh, <laughs> He's hoping he wins this contest tomorrow. <laughs> That's yeah. right. I like free shit. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm not following suit. I'm not drinking Miller Lights tonight. Uh, I've already cracked mine because it took us so fucking long to get this shit started tonight. Canadian yeah, Jesus. I had to switch mine out. Canadian Jesus over here was starting to turn water into piss and getting Big Daddy <laughs> up in the sky to start throwing down lightning bolts because it was taking so long. But anyways, I'm drinking a highballer pumpkin ale. I'm getting in the spirit of Halloween. Oh, nice. And if you guys like pumpkin pie, I recommend drinking that beer. Hmm. It's like pumpkin pie in a can. That sounds like a lot of carbs for me, Mark. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's no nutritional information on there, so I can't really respond to that. That's all right. It's just like drinking a pumpkin pie. You're right. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll try it out if they have it down here in Ohio. They won't because it's from Canada. Southern Canada, as you guys call it. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, let's hop into this fucking movie discussion. So as we said in the intro tonight, we're talking about Halloween from 1978 and Rob Zombie's Halloween remake from 2007. As always, we'll start off with the movie synopsis. Synopsis, synopses. Josh, what do you think? Synopses. Uh, I go with synopsis. I. Synopsis. Okay. Yes. I'm Canadian. A. Eh? I like that. A. Eh? All right. So we'll start off with the movie synopsis. I'm sure Ben from Extreme Horror Replay will fucking crack us on this because he always does. Uh, the original synopsis. 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital 
and returns to the small town of Haddonfield, Illinois to kill again. And the remake. After being committed for 17 years, Michael Myers, now a grown man and still very dangerous, escapes from the mental institution and immediately returns to Haddonfield to find his baby sister, Lori. So slightly different synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because in the original, we don't know that Lori's his sister yet, right? Correct. But I mean, that, that storyline's kind of been tossed around ever since... 1978 or 81 i guess whenever the second one came out right well he was never meant to be they were never meant to be siblings carpenter wrote that for halloween too for lack of story yeah and i think makes sense and you can tell throughout the whole first movie that they were not supposed i mean there's not that they weren't supposed to be but that they're that's not the story that's Mm -hmm. you know not to go down a rabbit hole right out of the gate but that's what drives me crazy sometimes when you compare Zombies Halloween versus Carpenter's Halloween. So they're honestly they're two separate movies. Yeah. Yeah, they are. It's almost like well, it's almost like the original Halloween's like a reboot. Or sorry, the remake Halloween is like a reboot rather than a remake. Cause Rob Zombie changes the story a little bit. Right. Well, I mean he incorporates <clears throat> From uh, information we already know from Halloween too, because we've all seen it, right? But it's like yeah. that's the storyline he ran with. Where Carpenter's story is basically again, Michael Myers, like you said, comes back 15 years later and starts wreaking havoc on Haddonfield. Um, had Laurie Strode not dropped those keys off at that Myers house that morning, and Michael hadn't seen, um tommy and Lori, it that was all by happenstance right so that's yeah that's yeah. my opinion i think that he saw tommy and Lori. they're roughly the same age as he and judith were because you know michael kills judith at the beginning of halloween his sister and they're roughly the same yeah. ages i think he kind of has that connection and even at that point he's not really after Lori and carpenter's halloween because that's his sister he is just following tommy and Lori, and he's even stalking tommy at school that morning when he yeah that's true so i mean to me that's like again i'm biased i'm probably gonna say that 500 times but that's that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing to me is that you can't really compare the two so if you don't like zombies halloween because he strays from carpenter's halloween it's really two different beasts mm-hmm. yeah all right i'm d- hopping off my high horse <laughs> <laughs> no it's good <laughs> i i like that theory <clears throat> um so okay, the we'll move on to the directors. The director of the original Halloween is obviously John Carpenter. Um, if you don't know his name, then uh, get the fuck out of here. He's <laughs> a horror movie god, basically. Uh, he's directed movies such as Assault on Precinct Thirteen, The Fog, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A., uh, The Thing, which is also a remake, technically. Um, Ghost of Mars, and his last full-length movie was The Ward from 2010. And he had a few short short stories and shit like that afterwards. But um, What's your guys' favorite John Carpenter movie? Besides this one, if it is this one. You want me to go first? Sure. Um, can I be honest? Uh, of course. Yes. <laughs> I'm not a big John Carpenter fan. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> not a big John Carpenter fan. Um, I've seen all the movies. That, I mean, if I had to pick one, this would be my favorite John Carpenter movie. Um, okay. 
and not even because again we'll get into this later with the ratings but um I, so i'm not allowed to pick this movie i guess it'd be the thing then okay yeah i haven't seen all of his movies so i can't there's probably some that i could pick but um other than this and like how and uh the thing i'd probably say vampires i really enjoy that one okay i don't know if i've ever even seen that movie He's made some bad movies. <laughs> he has. There's no doubt about he that. He really has. And uh, I don't. I don't. Just kind of goes into again. Not again. Nothing against John Carpenter. I, you know, I love this movie, and I'm glad we're talking about it. And I think that this has always been a John Carpenter movie, right? But if you go back and look at the it, who wrote the female parts for this script, and there's a podcast that's really good. It's called uh, Halloween Unmasked. It's on Apple Podcasts if you want to go listen to it. They put it out right before um, 2018 came out. Okay. And it, listening to that and the amount of influence Deborah Hill had on this movie and the writing and um, just the relationship she had with the actors. And then you, there's a part in there where they talk about um, Nick Castle talks about some of the direction that John Carpenter gave him while making this movie. It's Again, not taking anything away from John Carpenter. I don't, you know, I don't want your guys' downloads to go way down. People start listening to me talk shit on here, but I, I don't think Deborah Hill gets the credit she deserves for this movie. I think again, John Carpenter gets the majority of it, and I don't know, you know, I don't That's know. Fair. You never hear Deborah Hill's Halloween. You hear John Carpenter's Halloween, right? Maybe that's just because he's a bigger name. I don't know. Uh, could and you also have to think at the time it was 1978, mm-hmm. right? So I mean, mm-hmm. it's 2020 again. You know, we're I'm not gonna no, I'm not gonna dive on that sword right now. But in 1978, I'm sure all of the credit went to John Carpenter for obvious reasons of that era. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like also with Rob Zombie, like I'm not sure what was, it? was Thousand Corpses his first like full film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like this rock star coming in and, you know, directing these big movies, like someone like turns a blind eye to it. Kind of like, Oh, this guy can't do this shit. Like he's just some rock star, you know, shit like that. But Rob Zombie actually does give a shit about horror movies and mm-hmm. all that shit. Oh, a hundred percent. Since he yeah. was a kid. Right. And if you look at his history, like what is his family, his parents worked at a carnival. I don't know if you guys knew that. But yeah. his parents worked at a car, so he grew up around that. He loved horror movies as a kid. That was like his thing. I, I think we're probably jumping ahead, but that was like that was his thing was horror movies. And back to John Carpenter, you know, he was a, a University of Southern California graduate. He grew up in I think Bowling Green, Kentucky, or somewhere in Kentucky, but um, was super into sci-fi movies. I think his first actual movie was a sci-fi, some sort of sci-fi, low-budget sci-fi movie, and. Um, Again, I forget exactly. If you listen to that podcast, Halloween Unmasked, they'll talk about how he kind of got into this whole Halloween thing. Um, but I, I don't know. I just feel like Carpenter wasn't – he never wanted to be a horror director. He kind of just fell into it. And with the success yeah. this movie had, it's like that's just what he's known as. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of his movies that he's directed aren't actually horror movies. Right. I mean, like a lot of them have horror elements to them, but – they're not like full-fledged horror movies like escape from new york and escape from la like movies like that they're not horror movies and assault on precinct 13 was not a it was an action movie i believe right uh i'm not sure 
I don't know if I've seen that one or not either. Yeah, I think that came out before Halloween, but then they redid it. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I think I have seen the remake. I don't know if I've seen the original, though. But, uh, yeah, so obviously we know that Rob Zombie directed the remake. Um, movies under his belt, he's got Halloween 2, which was the direct sequel to this one. Uh, he did the Firefly trilogy, which is House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and um, Three from Hell. Uh, and then he's got 31, Lords of Salem, and The Haunted World of El Superbisto. Mm. <laughs> Animated. Animated. And uh, <laughs> he, he's directed a lot of music videos, too, um, throughout his career, which I didn't really know that about him. Like, he's directed a lot of his own music videos, which I thought was neat. And if you yeah. look at if you look at the music videos that he's directed, like you can clearly see that he's passionate about the craft. Like he goes all out even just in the music videos. Yeah, for sure. And if you watch um House of a Thousand Corpses, when they trickle in those um odd cutscenes that that he yeah. throws in there, they're very similar to his music videos. And you can really yeah. see and I think he admitted in a, a an interview at some point um that that movie was kind of all over the place but again it was his first his first time directing a film writing a film so i can understand why but i feel like the way that that movie plays out is kind of part of its charm too like it's just a mess of a fucking movie but they're a mess of a family too so i don't know it kind of works out like nobody well i mean i don't question it like i just kind of expect it to be all kinds of fucked up Right, and then and then the Devil's Rejects had more of a, I don't know how to describe it, but it was more fluid, I guess. And then as he became more mainstream, he came out with Three from Hell, and it was arguably one of his worst movies that he's done. Arguably, <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> some people hate some of his other movies. I don't know. I think people like to hate Rob Zombie, but I think if you look at his work as a whole, it's 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 definitely um, matured. If you look at House of a Thousand Corpses, um, again, I I love that movie, but it was all over the place. There was some stuff mm-hmm. that I he probably when he did um, Devil's Rejects, which again Devil's Rejects is much more consistent throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Um, but again, I think he took those parts of House of a Thousand Corpses and made a whole nother movie about it. So you didn't have, you know, the Dr. Satan aspect of it. You didn't have the kids that were on a cross country tour to view all these haunted places or whatever. He just took and based it on those three characters, Captain Spaulding, Otis and baby. And that, that's what you have, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have like little droppings of the other characters from House of a Thousand Corpses here and there, but they're not like an integral part of that movie. Which I guess he tried to integrate Dr. Satan into it, and he admitted, he's like, it just for this movie, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. And a lot of the actors in, well, he's kind of like Adam Sandler in a sense, right? Like he has like all of his friends, basically, and they're like pretty much in all of his movies. And, it's and his like, wife. Sh- yeah, Sherry Moon Zombie. She's obviously, she's in every single one of his movies. Yeah. But I mean, uh, in this one, what was that? What's the trucker's name? Uh, 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 and that he that Halloween? he kills in the bathroom. Yeah, Big Joe Grizzly. Yeah, yeah. So he's in. <laughs> he was in House of a Thousand Corpses, I think, or he was in Devil's Rejects. He was in one of them. 
Uh, yes, he's also in Lords of Salem. Um, I think he might be in all. I can't remember if he's in House of. I don't think he's in Corpses, but he is definitely in Devil's Rejects. Yeah, he's the pimp. I think is he not? I believe so. But yeah, yeah. From yeah. what I've read, when when he's writing a script, he'll he already knows who he wants to play certain characters as he's writing yeah. it. That's one good thing. I that's another thing that I really enjoy about him too. Is like he. He has everything planned out before he's even written the script, right? Like, whereas most, I think, anyways, most directors will write the script and then they do the casting. They don't write roles specifically for an actor. Right. Well, if you look at it, too, I think, and I don't know, I'm not a, a script writer, right? But I would imagine when you write anything, you probably have somebody in mind to play that part. Yeah. But it's probably like Brad Pitt or, you know what I mean? And they reach mm-hmm. out and those people probably don't want to do the movie or they turn it yeah. down and then you get whoever fills it in. What he does, he mm-hmm. regurgitates the same actors and actresses and, you know, it's probably easier to call your buddy Richard Brake and say, hey, uh, we're writing a new <laughs> character and uh, Three from Hell because, you know, Spaulding's not going to be in it as much and I'm sure those yeah. pe- those guys jump on the, that opportunity. But yeah. he also uses actors that are predominant in the horror industry <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. like Sid Hag, um, obviously Sherry Moon because of Rob Zombie, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the actor that plays Otis and of course his name is escaping my mind right now. Bill um, Mosley. Yeah. Bill Mosley. So, you know, it's, it's actors that, that love the horror genre as much as he does. So yeah, it makes sense, and, but go ahead. And they're all willing to like do those fucked up roles too. Right. Like, uh, Bill Mosley, he, he played chop top in fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 like you know he's willing to go above and beyond for the role oh absolutely again it's just it's in their DNA they love it they're horror movie mm-hmm. fans they're not somebody that's just there to collect a paycheck so I think that yeah. really shows through but I mean comparing Carpenter and Zombie again they couldn't be stylistically any more different of directors mm-hmm. agreed yeah. what's your guys favorite Rob Zombie movie again besides this one um, if I had to pick one besides this one, I da, 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 love Rejects. I love House of a Thousand Corpses. I really like Lords of Salem. I know that's an unpopular opinion. I got to rewatch that. I've only watched it the once and I didn't like it. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's good. Um, honestly, dude, I like all of his. I know and I sound like a, a fucking fanboy, but I like all of his movies. <laughs> he, even um, Three from Hell. But again, it's similar to this. You have to separate it from corpses, from rejects. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. And again, I like the movie, so I didn't go into it ready to rip it to shreds like some other people did. Yeah, <laughs> I even like uh, 31. I know a lot of people hate 31. <laughs> I'm going to kind of cheat and say Grindhouse because he has a director credit on that, on those okay. two movies. I'm All not right. sure like which one he had a hand in but i think he's in it too there's a video inside of the grindhouse movie that he's in and i think he directed it i could see him directing oh so you mean he directed like a a short little video that's within the movie i believe I think so. so yeah i believe okay. so because eli roth is the did one of those movies right yeah I think whichever one eli roth did there's a video inside of that movie that zombie is actually in and he directed Okay. I need to rewatch those too. I could be making all this shit up. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, because there's five directors credited on that movie. You got Eli, 
Robert Rodriguez, Tarantino, Edgar Wright, and Rob Zombie. Okay. Good to know. You're welcome. You are <laughs> cheating though, Brooke. But I am. I'll let it. I'll let it pass. I am. Uh, my favorite is Devil's Rejects. Besides this one, I mean, it's cliched, but I have to say that. That's a good movie. Yeah. I'm excited to see what he comes out with in the future. Same here. Well, he, has, he has a movie in production about uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, which is pretty cool. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been in production for a while. I think there wasn't there a snag with the studio on it? There was creative differences between him and the studio, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Again, I could, like be, the, I could be making all this up. It's like the history of the team, or like is it a it's, fucking it's horror movie? It's about uh, the Broad is it Street about Bullies. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, the Broad Street Bullies during the 70s. Mm-hmm. Okay, right now. that's cool. He should direct a movie about Gritty. Fuck, that'd be cool. Yeah. Because I remember when Gritty's little bio came out, he was like some monster that lived underneath the ground or some shit like that or a cave or something, <laughs> and he came out. <laughs> they should do that. That'd, that'd be a good movie. That sounds right up his alley. All right. We've talked about the directors. So Want to head into the cast now? Sure. So I only picked four characters from each movie because, I mean, there's quite a bit in each one that we can talk about, but we'll keep it to uh, a basic four. Um, Starting off is Laurie Strode, obviously. Um, In the original, she's played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And, I mean, she's the fucking scream queen herself, right? She's in Halloween 2, Halloween H20. (laughs) (laughs) You listened to our episode, huh? Imagine that. Uh, uh, Halloween, Resurrection, The Fog. I mean, Halloween 2008, Prom Night, Terror Train. She's in a fucking shit ton of horror movies. But she's also in a bunch of non-horror movies as well. Uh, I'm going to go out and just fucking say this. I don't like Jamie Lee Curtis. As a person? Well, I've never met her. But I, I, I don't like her in movies. I don't like her as an actress. Why? I don't know. I just don't think she's very good. Mm. Interesting. I'm probably going to get fucking shredded for this. I mean, she's not terrible, but I don't think she's as good as everybody says that she is. I think like this movie, Halloween 1978, she gets a lot of credit for... Oh, man, I'm going to get shredded as well. Um, Okay, (laughs) so here's, here's... Okay. Lori Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis. I said this. I, I actually recorded an episode uh, last week with two chicks in a horror flick, and we, we went for three hours and 20 minutes. So if you guys don't want to have that long of an episode, you better start <laughs> cutting me off. But to me, this is not a Lori Strode movie. This is a Michael Myers, Dr. Loomis movie with Lori Strode trickled in because she happens to be the babysitter in the town that he came back to. Um, yeah. That being said, this is her first acting role ever, so we have to also take that into consideration. And I also mm-hmm. want to preface everything I'm saying by this came out in 1978. I didn't live in 19. I didn't live in the 70s or the 80s. I wasn't born until the end of 87. So uh, things that scared those people are not things that would scare my generation of people. Right? I can eat dinner in front of the TV and watch four episodes of the walking dead and not have a stomach issue at all. Whereas back Mm -hmm. then, not the same thing, different things scared those people in that generation. 
So that yeah, being, like Seth. Yeah, like Seth. Seth's old as fuck. I don't know if you guys have you guys ever met Seth. He's right here no. on, on one of my yeah. So he's right here in the background. That's him. <laughs> He'll be fifty in December. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but um, no, I mean, he's not that old. <laughs> I was gonna say, I feel like you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> I believed you a little bit uh, the old, for a split second. Fuck you, Seth. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um. No, then he gets her first acting uh, gig. I don't know what kind of direction John Carpenter, Deborah Hill gave her. I don't think she gave a terrible performance, but I agree. In this movie, she's not that great. And again, I have probably the most unpopular opinion on this, but I understand why she's labeled as the Scream Queen. Yeah, absolutely. But when people tell me that, because I did a poll on Instagram, people asked, uh, said she was their favorite final girl. And I'm like, Why? She doesn't mm-hmm. do anything. Yeah, she just runs away and screams. She stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. Okay. She hides in the closet. <laughs> okay. Po- pokes him in the eye with a fucking clothes hanger. Yeah, like... Yeah. I don't know. Like, we're talking about just strictly this movie right now, but, like, with her acting chops. But we did... it. Like, Brooke and I did an episode with Daniel from the Creepy Crap Podcast on Terror Train, and she's in that, and she was no better in it than she was in this. How long I mean, after not... that was was Terror Train? Or how long after this was Terror Train? Terror Train was in the 80s, I think, eh, Brooke? Yeah. I mean, like, have you not seen her in Freaky Friday? What an amazing performance. <laughs> Honestly, dude, let's not... Fuck, fuck one minute, Brooke. Okay. <laughs> Freaky Friday has Lindsay Lohan in her prime, okay? That's true. In her prime. So I was not yeah. paying attention to anything Jamie Lee Curtis was doing. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Um, but no, and, and to argue that, just to play devil's advocate, because you guys know I really enjoy doing that, she's great in Halloween H20. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, like, as an adult, yeah, she's not as bad. Like, in Halloween 2018, she was pretty good i guess um but yeah as a young actress i just i she's not convincing i didn't find her very good and i don't think she should be a top ranked final girl in your poll i agree like i said when people you know somebody picked her over nev campbell i about had to find track them down (laughs) see nev's badass oh dude don't get dude i'm telling you how long you want to be on here (laughs) We're talking about the wrong movie now. I know. I'm sorry. All right. Go ahead. Brooke, I want to know your thoughts on that, though, because you've been kind of quiet through that discussion. Like for on Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. I don't know. I don't mind her. Like, she definitely has a punchable face. Like, I would never punch a woman, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to edit that out. No, I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving Uh, that in. (laughs) <laughs> no it's like i don't know I, I kind of do agree with mark like you're just i don't know her characters and people just don't you don't get attached to them like her character in knives out like she you just don't like her character in that and like yeah i don't know i think i agree with mark like just the characters and the way she portrays them he just kind of turns you off a bit now, I will argue that in Knives Out, you are not supposed to like her character. So if you really dislike her character that bad, I would say that it's almost like She's, Negan on The Walking Dead, right? Like Jeffrey yeah. Dean Morgan. Like you fucking hate Negan so bad because he mm-hmm. does such a good job at being Negan. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up is Dr. Loomis, and he's played by the legendary Donald Pleasance. Um, he passed away in 1995. So his last movie in the Halloween franchise was Resurrection, I think. Um, it would have. He makes a voiceover, but it's not him uh, in H2O. But I think his last actual um, performance being in the movie was Halloween 6, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Was it that one? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got another unpopular opinion, Josh, and you're going to fucking jump through your t- computer screen at me. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't hate The Curse of Michael Myers. The curse of Michael Myers or the revenge of Michael Myers? The curse. So Halloween 6. Is that the curse? Yes. That's the one with Paul Rudd. Yeah. Um, okay, hold on before you start. All right. I watched that movie when I was really young. It was the first Halloween movie I'd ever watched. So I kind of have that sort of nostalgic factor to it. So that movie was my first... Uh, meeting with michael myers i guess that was your introduction to michael myers that's the word i'm looking for yes that was my introduction well the great thing about that mark (laughs) is that it can't get any worse (laughs) (laughs) uh i kind of got an unpopular opinion as well um i really dislike dr loomis in this movie yeah man i'm with you i think he's dumb as fuck for a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get your PhD, motherfucker? Yeah. I we'll agree. Get, we'll I get agree. more into it later, like with some other shit, but yeah. No, I mean, he's like spastic. He's a little erratic at times. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, again, I feel like this is a Michael Myers, Dr. Loomis movie with Laurie Strode sprinkled in because of being the babysitter in the talent he came back to, like I just said. Yeah. That being said, I feel like Loomis's purpose in this movie, 1978, is to be a vessel to explain to us Michael's past and how how horrible of a of a entity that Michael is. Because in these movies, he's not supposed to, you're not supposed to view him as a human, right? He's supposed to be empty, he's evil inside. Um, and but that's, that's but that, John Carpenter wanted him to be a human, like he wanted him to act as human like as possible, just a normal dude. Yeah. So I find it weird that that's the kind of route that they're going towards with the final product. Well, that's how I interpret it. It could be, I could be completely wrong. Um, I know that the actor Donald Pleasance was like a um, pretty um, successful uh, play actor. Yeah. So I know that he's pretty dramatic in the way that he acts anyway. And I think Mm he um, had a lot of influence on Carpenter and this movie and the way things should be shot or. Um, the way they should be shown on screen or whatever. But that being said, I I agree with you guys. I'm not a huge Loomis fan in these movies. Um, in in any of the movies, honestly, I think that uh, again, I, we haven't got to it yet. But I think that the zombies, Malcolm McDowell, that plays uh, Loomis in zombies movies, you you really, I at least can relate to him more. And I feel like he mm-hmm. does a lot better job of portraying that. That whole transition, and again, maybe that wasn't the purpose of Loomis in these movies. I don't know. Um, but for me, I would rather see where, hey, I can actually see where Loomis connected with Michael. He really loved Michael, and then what that transition to transitioned into later 
And you just don't get that. I feel like Donald Pleasance was just there to spit out these lines about how evil and dark and yeah. dead inside Michael <clears throat> is. Mm-hmm. He's like almost like narrating his like autobiography or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. the whole movie. Right, and he's always two steps behind. Yeah. yeah. If you knew him that well, he should know what's going on. Right, which again, not to kick a dead horse, but in <laughs> Malcolm McDowell's Dr. Loomis is always, there's multiple lines in that movie where he's like, um, I he says, and I have it written down somewhere, but basically you're uh, the sheep are foolish to um, believe the tameness of a wolf. I fucked that all up. But basically he tells these people multiple times, like Michael knows what you're talking about. He's listening mm-hmm. to you. He's watching like he he doesn't talk and he just seems like this humongous being that moseys around this facility, but he is well aware of what is going on. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's good. I was gonna say he's taking it all in for ammo later on. Exactly. Whereas I don't think that's portrayed in this version. But again, in 1978, maybe that didn't need to be done. Maybe they needed to understand. Hey, this guy is not the guy across the street, he is this psychopath that is dead inside. He's got these dead yep. black eyes and he's, he's a, basically a shell, a shape. <clears throat> That's what he's credited as is the shape. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in that aspect, now I'm sitting here <clears throat> second guessing myself because maybe Donald Pleasant did a good job. Cause that's what we were supposed to get out of that. Yeah. But I mean, in the 1978 original, like we, we never had that backstory. So there's never an opportunity for, us to see the way he interacts with the orderlies inside the mental hospital and shit like that. Like we see it in the remake because we see Michael as a kid inside that facility. And then again, as an adult later on. So we see that he's not just some big dumb idiot that's fucking sauntering around because he reacts to the things that people are doing and saying in that remake. Right. But yeah, I agree with both of you. I don't like Donald Pleasance's Loomis. I don't hate it either, but I think yeah, he's over dramatic and not the greatest. Well, and honestly, again, you have to kind of take a step back and think about nineteen seventy eight, how that would be viewed and the way that people looked at mental health back then versus now. The other thing is I when when like Seth and I watched that movie or Jessica and all and I watched that movie, like we laugh at Loomis. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here we go. Crazy ass Loomis again. <laughs> yeah. But like back then, I again, I don't know. I can't relate. So uh, we kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and, and kind of look at it from that aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, next character I put up is Annie. <clears throat> so she was like one of Lori's good friends. She's played by Nancy Keys or Nancy Loomis depending on what movie she's in. Some of her movies, she was uh, going by Nancy Loomis, which I found interesting. Yeah, I thought it was weird. I don't know if she got Loomis from Dr. Loomis or what. I don't know where that name came from, but I'm assuming that's where it came from. Uh, She doesn't have a whole lot of acting credits. She was in Halloween 3 and Halloween 2. Um, She was in The Fog and Assault on Precinct 13. So all four of her movies that she's been in are john carpenter movies she's been in more than that but like those were kind of the more popular names i didn't do a deep dive into her whole resume and lastly i wrote down nick castle so he played the shape um but he 
didn't play the face whenever Michael or whenever Lori rips the mask off. It's right. a different actor for that, which I found interesting. Like, was Nick Castle not ugly enough or <laughs> what's the reasoning behind that? Maybe he wasn't pretty enough. Well, I don't know. Were we, were we watching the same movie? Because that motherfucker is not pretty. <laughs> Everybody's different, Mark. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, so Nick Castle played the shape. Or Michael Myers with the mask on. So I didn't write down Annie for this. Um, but okay. I, I don't, honestly, I only wrote down uh, Michael, um, Laurie, and Loomis, to be honest with you. You want to know the only reason why I put Annie down? Tell me. Who plays her in the remake? Well, right. Yeah, that has to be. be My girl, about. Danielle Harris. Okay, that's fair. I noticed you skipped <laughs> right over, and this you didn't even want to talk about her in the 1978, which is fine. <laughs> um, I guess to touch base real quick on Nick Castle, um, I don't think he does a bad He's not the Michael Myers I want, but he, I don't think he does a bad job. He's very ambiguous. Um, and again, the motivation behind Michael is completely unknown at this point. We're to think that he's just coming back to, to attack or to kill again these babysitters, right? I mean, hell, mm-hmm. the, the first acting title of this movie was called The Babysitter Murder. So, yeah. Um, and again, I truly believe that, that he sees Lori and Tommy in that scenario, and he, that's why he is following them throughout the entire movie. And, and everybody else that is a victim is basically un- unfortunate happenings in that situation because of him following Lori around. Um, but yeah, I don't know how much you want me to go into this, but yeah, Nick, I don't think Nick Castle did a terrible job. I know he's kind of the creator of that whole head, the Michael Myers head nod, the, the Halloween H2O does every other scene. If you see Michael mm-hmm. in Halloween H2O, he's fucking turning his head for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Just in comparison to Tyler Maine, I think that Nick Castle's um, Michael Myers is a little underwhelming, f- just for me and my taste. Brooke, do you have anything to say about that before I chime in? Yeah, like I like we're jumping way ahead to other parts <laughs> of the podcast, but it's it's over now. I love the uh, the 2007 Halloween Michael Myers because he just seems so much bigger. And mm-hmm. scarier, and it's the one of like 1978. Like he doesn't look that menacing at all. Like it's not anything compared to the 2007 one. Uh, yeah, that's a point that I was going to make too. Like you look at slashers from back in the 70s and early 80s. You have um, Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You have Jason. You have Michael Myers, and then you have Freddy. And I'm going to take Freddy out of the equation because he's like, for this argument anyways. But if you look at Jason and if you look at Leatherface, like they're fucking huge dudes. And you got Michael. He just looks like a mechanic wearing a mask. Like There's <laughs> nothing nothing scary about him other than that mask. Like He's not a big dude. He He's not doing anything out of the ordinary except for just like walking slowly around with a fucking knife in his hand. Like I totally agree with the Brook your point on him not being menacing enough. Yeah. Whereas Tyler Maine's character is huge. Like dude's like six eight. He's massive. He's an ex wrestler. And he's bi- got the long well, go ahead. No, he's the biggest uh, actor to ever play Michael Myers. Yeah. He's fucking one of the biggest actors to probably ever hit the screen. Besides Tiny in uh, <laughs> Devil's Rejects. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, okay, but I will say that, again, we have to kind of take a step back and put ourselves in 1978, and I don't know that you needed that to scare people because, again, you're bringing this chaos, this unknown, this um, fear to the suburbs. That's what this movie did, right? Because back then, you think about the suburbs, and that's where that's where everybody wanted to live. You wanted to get out of, you know, you want to live in the suburbs. It's safe. It's quiet. There's mm-hmm. no crime. You're safe all of a sudden not anymore so do you really need that six foot eight tyler main character to scare people back then i'm guessing not you probably don't it could be an everyday which in theory really should be more scary probably not to us because again we're totally desensitized to this stuff but back then the normal average everyday person lurking in the shadows are they there are they not we don't know but that probably was petrifying Mm mm-hmm that's fair. That, that's a good point because I kind of look, now that we mentioned that, like the first Friday the 13th, like to us, isn't that scary because it doesn't have Jason in it. But back then in the 80s or 70s, like you had no idea who it was. But now we know that the main villain in those movies is Jason, this big, huge guy in this hockey mask killing people with machete. Whereas like back in the day, like they didn't know that that was who it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, even in the uh, Jason shows up in Halloween or fuck Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and he's wearing like a, a bag over his head, and he's really yeah. not that big. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. And yeah, look at true. things like Sleepaway Camp. It's a it's a kid murders a kid. Friday the Thirteenth Part One. It's a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are good points. Disregard my comment. No, you're fine. I just love to argue <laughs> with you. And let's just go back to Texas Chainsaw. And, and, you know, you look at 2003, look how menacing and humongous Leatherface is versus the original. He was very childlike. He was kind of slow. He was dumb. Um, mm-hmm. And he, like, the, the only, you know, he almost is kind of comical in the way he laughs and he cries and he, like, screams um, yeah. versus 2003 where he's just a fucking monster of a man. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Sorry. Don't apologize. I didn't really mean it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> 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 All right. So Lori in the remake is played by Skip Taylor Compton. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you a fan? No, sorry. Oh, yes. I love Scout Taylor Compton. I'm a fan of her profile picture on IMDb. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Do you follow her on Instagram? I said IMDb, not Instagram. I'm asking, do you follow her on Instagram? Oh, no, I don't. No, Wait, I don't. Hey, you're welcome. All right. I'll look her up then. You ever talk to her? Twice. Nice. Once, and then I got blocked, and I sent her another message. It didn't go through because I got blocked. But it, you know what, dude? It's whatever. <laughs> no sweat. Everybody's so sensitive these days. I know. All right, so she plays, uh, yeah, like I said, Lori in this one. She's also Lori in Halloween 2. Uh, she's in The Runaways, a uh, bunch of episodes in Nashville, which is probably Josh's favorite show because it's all about country music. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in a shitty-ass movie called Flight 7500. Um, she's not a huge name actress, though. Like I thought she was in a lot more, but I was scrolling through her page, and there's not a whole lot of big-name movies that she's in. Yeah, um, I don't know her in anything else except for the two Halloween movies. Yeah. She does have a horror movie on Netflix, and I cannot for the life of me remember the name of it. 
Um, I don't know if you guys have IMDb up, but it wasn't terrible. wasn't great. wasn't terrible. Pull it up right now. Yeah, it's uh the basically the premise is her and her boyfriend I think go overseas or to South America or something, and they get roped into a like a curse type thing. Hmm. It's a getaway. Uh, dude, honest, I don't remember. It's on Netflix. I think it's a Netflix movie. But she is mm. B E A beautiful in that movie. Just so you guys, know. <laughs> try and find it. Sorry. Yeah, she's in a bunch of like shitty ass horror movies. Um, I think I unfortunately, see. probably. I mean, this was her big, her first big break, right? And she probably just got tagged with. Um, unfortunately, because you know these movies didn't have great reviews when they came out, or even now. But um, yeah, no, but she's probably a victim of that. But I don't. I, maybe I'm going out of order. I'm sorry. I may I fucked up your guys' whole s- schedule here, but um, <laughs> I like her as Laurie Strode in these movies, both of them, even I, Halloween too. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I don't mind her at all. I don't like like the interaction that she has with her family at the beginning. Mm. Whenever she comes down, she starts like talking sexual about the fucking dude that owns the store or whatever. The hardware store, and she fingers the bagel. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's super out of place and unnecessary. And oh, she see, doesn't I love it. Yeah, but she's not that type of character. Like she's the original to, she, she is. She's not a goody two or she's supposed to be like a goody two shoes. Right in the original, like, so, right, but not in this. That's the thing. You have to separate the two. For me, here's the thing. So I <laughs> This movie came out in 07. I graduated in 06. I just had, and again, I'm sorry to keep bringing this up, but we had, I did two chicks in a horror flick podcast last week with them. And uh, one of the girls on there, Tawny, she actually backed me up on this. We were around the same age. And she was like, I, I was that girl. I went to school with those girls. I knew girls that acted like that. That's how girls acted because the other, uh, the host Felicia, she was, she's, um, likes the 78 version more. And she was like, I just, I hated Lori. And I was like, I know that girl. I went to school with girls mm-hmm. like that. I've seen girls act like that. Mm-hmm. That's a convert. This sounds probably makes me sound like even more of a hillbilly, guys. But like, that's not an uncommon <laughs> conversation that may happen at my house. Not with my kids, but like when I was growing up with my family. Like we just like we joked about stuff like that, appropriate mm-hmm. or not. That's just for the time, two thousand six, two thousand seven. It's relevant to that time, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. I didn't experience that like with my family, so I found it kind of out of place and weird. Not weird, but <laughs> <laughs> weird is the wrong word. Thanks. Out of place and unnecessary <clears throat> to the movie. But I don't know. Like even taking out the 1978 version of it, like her character in this movie is still not really like that. Like she's the tamer out of her three friends. She is, but is it because yeah. she is naturally tamer or more tame, or is it because she hasn't had the opportunity to not be? Because when you look at that movie and you look at that point where Annie contacts her and she says, "Hey, I've talked to such an Ben Tramer, and he wants to mm-hmm. he wants to go out with you." Well, in 1978, she was like, "Oh, Annie, I wish you wouldn't have done that." And then later, she's mm-hmm. like, "Okay, I'll babysit Lindsay if you call Ben and tell him I don't want to go out with him." Versus yeah. this version where she's like excited about it. Like she's like, oh, I'm going to get laid. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So she's like, again, you have to separate the two. And in my opinion, you have to separate the two. And that's Laurie Strode in this movie. Is She's not necessarily a goody two shoes because that's the way she is. She just doesn't have the experiences that Linda and Annie have in the movie. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm biased. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you're making good points, though. Brooke, do you have anything you want to talk about with Lori? No, I don't think no. so. All right. Do you like her or do you not like her in this one? I liked her in this one. Okay. All right. Next up is Dr. Loomis, and he's played by Malcolm McDowell. And uh, I just got to say, man, his fucking hairstyle at the start of this movie drove me insane. <laughs> Rockstar <laughs> Loomis. Oh, my God, man. I hated that hair. <laughs> That's what we called him was Rockstar Loomis. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that hairstyle at all. Why do you hate it so much? Because when I picture Malcolm McDowell, even like, like I grew up watching Tank Girl with him and fucking uh, what's it, Laurie Petty, um, and even in that movie, that was from like the mid '90s. He still had that same hairstyle that he had in the second half of Halloween, like the short white hair, the goatee. Like he's, he's looked the same to me throughout my entire life. Yeah. So to see him with that long ass hair, looks like it should have been on Brooke's head. It just (laughs) did not suit him at all. Like I get, you're trying to make him look younger, but I don't know. It just looks stupid on him. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to disagree for one second. I don't care what you think. Okay. I'll stop. Go ahead. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to portray him as this um, young, hip therapist that wants to come in. He really cares. He's got a. Because you ever. um, I don't know if you guys have experienced this in your career, but I have to where you're. You may be this young. fire under your feet you know pissing full of piss and vinegar kid that wants to come into let's just say any specific industry and you want to you have all these new ideas and you think you're going to be able to really get in there and bring all these new ideas and change things and make things better and you got those older people that are just like hey man stop just go with the flow do what we've always done and fucking quit I feel like that is what they were trying to portray with Loomis, even into his interaction with Michael, is that, hey, he really cares. He's passionate about this, and he's like this young, hip guy that that wants to come in and really make a difference. Um, and you even see it from the first time you meet him because um, the principal had contacted him before Michael had done anything other than, you know, and again, not to downplay this, but before um, – he had killed any people. It was when he was interacting with the animals, right? Or when he was killing the animals, they found the pictures, they found the dead animal in his bag. And that's when they called Loomis in like, Hey, this kid has a problem. Like we need to address this now, not after he does something dramatic. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could say that today, like if we were able to identify some of these mental health issues that kids have in schools and, and really work with them from that point versus when things get really drastic later, I think that's a better place to start than, you know, um, and anyway, that's what I think Rob Zombie was trying to portray in that moment was that, Hey, he's trying to come in early in this situation and help this kid versus now this kid's done these bad things and he's trying to fix the problem. He's being proactive versus reactive, I guess, in a long ass winded Josh explanation. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of turned the whole fucking topic on that one. Yeah. But, um, like to go against your point, Mark, like you need to have him with that shitty ass haircut to get the story backstory of the whole thing because he's with Michael for like 17 years. So like, how can, you know, hold on, hold on. I didn't say I didn't like the character or the backstory. <laughs> <laughs> I said I didn't like the hairstyle. Uh. Now 
Josh, counterpoint to your counterpoint about his fucking hair. Yes. He's not that young at the start of the movie. He still has white hair. Um, Towards the end of the movie, what would you say he is, like 60, maybe? Probably. So 17 years prior to that, he's 43. Okay. He doesn't need that hairstyle. Man, dude, Seth is going to be pissed at you, dog, because he is trying to bring sexy back, and he's about to turn 40. <laughs> Seth has short hair. Look at him back there behind me. See him? I see a receding hairline. What do you want me to say? Oh, shit. Just so everybody knows, I've got, uh, I put a background on my Zoom call. I've got Jessica and Seth behind me. So they couldn't be here tonight, but I wanted everybody to feel like they were here um, because I I feel like they make me my best self. Yeah, Mark, maybe Loomis is like albino and just like gets a a spray tan every now and then. (laughs) Spray tan and a hair dye? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just an asshole and I'm making fun of an albino guy. Probably. Anyways, you said it, bro. <laughs> do you guys like Malcolm McDowell though? Like as an actor? I know yeah, just I do. I do. Um, I'll be honest. Other than this movie and Halloween two, along with um, 31, I don't know what else I've seen Malcolm McDowell in. I know Jess is a big fan of Clockwork Orange, which I know he is. Uh, great in. movie. I've never seen it, to be completely honest. But um, I mean, I like him in these. Uh, he's kind of a fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Halloween two is rough for me. But again, it goes back to the Donald Pleasance or Jamie Lee Curtis thing. Is it? I hate the character. I don't necessarily hate the actor. Okay. Which means to me that he did a great job. Yeah. So yeah, other than these movies and other <laughs> Rob Zombie movies, I haven't really seen him in much. Uh, I know Jess is really into Clockwork Orange, which I'm I've never seen it, so I can't comment. Oh, dude, you gotta watch that movie. You gotta check out Tank Girl too. What is it, Tank Girl? Yeah. Both of you should check it out. All right. Try it's not it a out. great movie. It's not a great movie. It's just a fun movie. Don't, dude, weird. don't give me shit. You saw what happened with the platform and Killer Condom on, on HMC. Like, I don't fuck with <laughs> bad movies. It's better than both of those. Okay. All right. All right. Next up, we have Danielle Harris. She played Nancy in this version. Annie. She's in... What? She plays Annie. Or, sorry, Annie. I don't know why I said Nancy. Um, thank you, Josh. It's she plays... fine. You're drunk. We can all see it on your face. <laughs> uh, she's in Halloween 4 and 5 as a much younger version of herself. Um, thought this was really cool. She's in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Never realized that was her. Have you I didn't that know that either, dude. Which, who's, which character huh. is she? She's a little sister, like the young girl. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that until I looked through her IMDb for this. Uh, she's also in The Last Boy Scout and Hatchet 2-3 and Victor Crowley. Thank God. She came in and saved that franchise. Yes, she did. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, is she a scream queen? You don't really see her in the conversation very often. I think it's because she came into the conversation at a very young age. I don't think anybody considers her a final girl. And I think to be a scream queen, you have to, I'm doing air quotes. You have to be a final girl. And she's just so young in Halloween four and five. Um, a different actress plays, um, Jamie Lloyd in six, you know, your favorite Halloween movie, Mark. But, um, (laughs) I think with the, with hatchet, you would have to label her as a scream queen. 
I, I think. think so. And then as Annie in in these movies, because dude, she's fucking awesome in Halloween too. As Annie, she's great in this movie too. But like Halloween two for me is where she really shines. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Brooke, honestly, I don't really know her from anything. Just I know she's hot as fuck. So you know. <laughs> Apparently she is directing a new uh, horror movie. I saw on her. I follow her on Twitter, and she just announced that she is uh, got green lighted to do a horror movie. She's going to direct it, so that's pretty cool. That's awesome. That's cool. Do we know what it's called? Fuck, man! Come on, I don't know. Don't ask me that. You didn't slide into the DMs. No, no. I'm already scout Taylor Compton. I can't even talk to anymore, so I wasn't going to fuck that up with Daniel Harris. All right, and lastly, we have Michael Myers, who's played by Tyler Maine, the monster of a man that he is. Uh, <laughs> Josh's favorite Michael Myers, I'm assuming. <clears throat> yep, if you listen to the podcast, Mark, you would know that. I did, I do. Don't miss an episode. Aww. I'm letting the listeners know. Uh, what, a, what a kiss ass. I mean, you don't have a fucking shirt on. Mark, <laughs> not yours. How much of a uh, pretentious prick do I look like with my own shirt on? Like I'm literally wearing my own face right now. Because it's your own face, yeah, it's a little more pretentious. Like I wear a shirt sometimes, though. Definitely. I went to order one of your guys's uh, last week, and it wasn't on sale, so I had to wait. <laughs> Understandable, man. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, buy our own shit on sale. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> so just so we you bought know. a shit ton of stickers when they went on sale. So that's the way to do expensive it. as fuck, man. I don't blame you. It's the, the shipping is where they get you, dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I didn't fucking order one of yours. I mean, it's very cost effective. If you go to uh, our, our Instagram horror movie crew podcast on Instagram, go to Linktree, click merch. It's very cost effective. Um, you'll be helping out a good cause. Go there, buy a t-shirt. Go to ours first though. nothing <laughs> this is your podcast oh, man i'm i'm just here yeah okay tyler main he plays michael myers in halloween 2 he played Sabretooth in x-men uh he played some guy in troy with uh brad pitt <laughs> is he credited as some guy <laughs> <laughs> no i just couldn't remember what his name was <laughs> It literally fucking says in the credits, some guy, some Tyler guy. Maine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, he was in Victor Crowley with Danielle Harris. And uh, I think before he became like an actor, he was a WCW wrestler under the name of Big Sky. Yeah. Brooke, you watch wrestling more than I do. Did you ever watch him? Uh, no, that's way before my time. WCW? Yeah, man. Bro, I watched that. W? Yeah, Wait. you're fucking old. Oh, dude, really? I'm two you... years older than you are. Why were you not watching WWF? I watched all of it. Okay, let's just real quick. If you were, you know, I'm a hillbilly. If you were to guess who my favorite wrestler of all time is, who would you guess? You got one guess. I'll tell you what. what? If you guess it right, I... I'll send you, Mark. I'll send you a fucking horror movie crew podcast shirt. I'll order you one and send it right to you. If you guess my favorite wrestler of all time. Hacksaw Jimmy Dugan. Fuck no. Stone Cold Steve Austin, baby. Oh, Dude, okay. Mark. That's I was thinking of Red. Man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was picturing like a fucking, I don't know, dirty ass redneck, not a cool ass redneck. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Did you just call me a dirty ass redneck? 
Yeah, I did. Hell yes. <laughs> you are from Ohio. Fuck yeah, I am. I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to it. Oh, what? <laughs> I was just going to say, I absolutely hated the Tyler Maine's portrayal of Sabretooth in the first movie. <laughs> Yeah, Leif Schreiber did a way better job. Oh my god, he's so much better. And the interaction between <coughs> him and um, uh, Hugh Jackson is so much better. Yeah. Hugh Jackman? Yeah, Jackman. Jack Sorry, I was. I'm, I have Michael Jackson on in the background. Thriller? No, Billie huh. Jean. Okay. Why are you listening to music while you're recording with us? I listen to music all the time. Mm. Billy Jean is not my lover. <laughs> you know we sing on the horror movie crew podcast. This is true. Yeah. Go See, ahead. I never knew that. I thought you guys would just bust out in song. I didn't know you were listening to music in the background. Um no. Okay. Anyways, uh honorable mention for the remake is uh Dag Fairch. Uh he played young Michael. Mm-hmm. This kid is an amazing actor in this movie. I haven't seen oh, yeah. any of his any of his other stuff, but I mean, like this, I don't know. He's so good in this performance, and yeah. he's like creepy looking just naturally. Like, no offense to the guy, but he's got like that Macaulay Culkin sort of look to him. He looks like he could be a a, a, a yes, a sibling of Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Um. Do yourself a favor. Go look up Dag Fairch now. Oh, I've seen it. Oh, it's horrible. Poor kid. It's like trying to be a rapper. Yeah. Got the long ass hair and a bandana. Yeah, and he, he got kind of got booted out of H2 because he uh, was too old. Yeah. But what are you going to do? <laughs> um. Okay, so just real quick, briefly. Sorry, guys. Dag Fairch, he does, an, again, an amazing job. And even in the portrayal of young, like the portrayal of young Michael, he does a great job of really making us understand what Michael went through psychologically and who, why he became who he was. And I also want to give Tyler Maine real quick credit because he was able to take all of those triggers and all of those gestures and all those things that made Michael as a boy creepy. And then he still portrayed them as the adult version of yeah. Michael. And you see all that when he's, uh, when he, uh, it's, I think it's Paul. He kills Paul, and Paul's hanging from the stairwell at the Wallace house, and he like pushes him, and he like swings. And yeah, yeah. there's all those ticks and those those things that made Michael creepy as a kid. You can still see that portrayed later as adult Michael. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I agree. Uh, do you guys want to hop into the movie discussion, like discussing scenes and shit like that? Let's I mean, do it. sure. This has been the longest opening I think we've ever had. <laughs> Fuck, sorry, dude. This is my fault. It's my fault. Oh, I kind no. of expected it. Brooke, you got a scene for us to talk about? Uh, I kind of got a controversial thing to say, to be honest. Uh, I I love the first Halloween, but I hate how it's put on this pedestal of like, oh, the most like amazing Halloween movie ever, like horror movie ever. Like all these non-horror fans, it's like, oh, I'll go watch Halloween because everyone talks about it. But when you look at it at a critic's eye, like it really has so much issues with it. And no one, I don't think anyone has the balls to say it, to be honest. You got big balls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anybody has the fucking balls to say it, it is the Canadian Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Like, we've already talked a bit about the story, but, like, just, like, so many other things 
that just like just don't make sense in it. I somewhat agree. I think the thing is that like it's again 1978. This movie came out before this. You had Texas Chainsaw and you had Black Christmas, right? Yeah. But this movie, and again, it's its own fault. It did. There were this movie made so much fucking money, and people were like, "Jason came from this, right?" Because Friday the Thirteenth, they made that movie because Halloween did so well. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at it from that standpoint, yeah, if somebody was like, hey, Josh, I don't generally like horror movies. What's the best horror movie of all time? Put it on and I'll sit here and watch it with you and I'll let you talk me into loving horror movies because of this movie. I'm not going to pick 1978's Halloween, but I also have to pay respects to it because I don't know that without it, we would have some of the stuff we have today. So like, Brooke, I 100% agree with what you're saying. But I don't know that we would have what we have today without it. Same, no. and here we go. Here we go. I wish Seth was here. He'd be kicking me out of the table. Same with, I don't know what we'd have today if without Scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scream revolutionizes the horror genre in the 90s. And I think that's what this movie did at the end of the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because before then, like you said, like there was Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there, and then there was uh, Black Christmas. But before that, it was all the like the Universal monsters that were like the main ones, like Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Wolfman, all that shit. Like you didn't have slasher movies before those three movies, basically. But yeah. Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre were not as well received as this one. Correct. Like Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre just made people want to throw up, which is one of the reasons why I love it. Yeah. Um, and Black Christmas, everybody hates Canada, so it didn't do very well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like Black Christmas, <clears throat> it doesn't hold a candle to any of these old time slasher movies, in my opinion. Right. So and- I feel like. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just, I feel like Josh, I agree with you, like how it with Halloween, it made that huge turning point to introduce that slasher genre to mainstream with the Michaels, the Freddies, the, the Chuckies, the Leprechauns, all those movies in the, the next couple decades. And it proved that you can have financial success with a horror movie. I feel like even yeah. today in 2020, if you go look at, uh, let's just say shitty ass Rotten Tomatoes, which if you're fucking good at Rotten Tomatoes to find out if you like a movie or not, you're a moron. But we do it every every episode on our show. We give the Rotten Tomatoes critics and audience review, right? So yeah. do we. Right. So, I mean, you have to. But at the same time, if somebody was like, hey, man, there's this new movie out. I'm not going to go to Rotten Tomatoes and look at the review to see what people thought. What? what they gave it right but this movie is i have it because we've done this movie on our podcast but like it's highly regarded 1978 this this movie right and i'm not gonna i know you guys are gonna do that later sorry but anyway i think you have to a pay respect to it because one it did have such financial success and it proved that hey you can have a horror movie and it can be um, a box office success with a very low budget. I think this budget for this movie was like $300,000 or something. It was like nothing. So what do you have moving forward? You get everything after that because of this movie. So why, you know, a very loose comparison would be like, if they came out and was like, hey, Ford, hey, we're going to start making the Model T again. Am I going to go buy one? No, but without the Model T, I wouldn't have the car I have now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But Brooke, like, 
<clears throat> I think Josh and I both agree with you, but at the same time, you have to respect it for what it's done for the genre. Oh yeah, hundred. Which I know, I know that you do, but that's yeah. kind of like that's kind of like my thoughts on the Evil Dead. Also, like I don't get the fucking hype around those movies at all, but I respect what they've done for the genre in the sense that, like, they've brought Bruce Campbell into the world first of all, but like everybody <laughs> loves them for their comedic factors. So I feel like those movies really brought out the horror comedy genre. And like that slapstick kind of horror. <clears throat> now, I don't personally like them as much as everybody else does, but I understand why people love them. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I, I think I <laughs> shit all over that, but now again, Brooke, I agree with what you're saying. If, like, for instance, we do a, a movie marathon for uh, Halloween here, and I'm. Pr- I'm we generally show Halloween, but it's the first movie of the night. If that may, if that tells you anything. Yeah. 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 That wasn't a scene, but it was a good discussion. No, <laughs> dude, I can hijack a fucking podcast real quick. Yeah. Just so you guys I mean, know. like I can continue hate with the hate and we can talk about the opening scene in 1978 Halloween. Let's do it. Cause I hated it. Okay. <laughs> That's actually the first scene I have written down here. So, um, like one thing that doesn't make any sense like i get it's a cool scene like it's one of the first scenes they've done with that like camera style but whenever michael is like behind the mask or whatever and he's going down the stairs and like killing his sister like he's supposed to be like a six-year-old kid but the camera's not at the right height where (laughs) it would make sense to be a six-year-old kid (laughs) right like she's looking up at him yeah and like he almost hits his head like on the lamp when he's going down the <laughs> stairs. It's like, okay, no. <laughs> That's true. But I also respect that scene because like during that time, like you've brought up multiple times already, you never really got that vantage point of that. Except for like maybe Psycho, you know. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say because like in – Friday the 13th part two, you have that with the sack head. So I feel like, or with the sack over Jason's mask, you get that point of view shot through the eye holes. So again, it's like another one of those scenes that's kind of revolutionized things for movies to come. And that's actually why they shot that first scene is because they had that camera um, technology at the time. It had never been used. So that's actually why they used it. Um, so again, for for me in this movie, which I'm, if you guys listen to our podcast, you already know what I rated this movie. But I I feel like you have to, in order to do this movie justice and really give it the credit that I think it's due, you have to put yourself in the. Let's say you're at the theater in 1978. You've never seen anything like this. Yeah, we've seen hundreds, if not hundreds upon hundreds of horror movies, right, Brooks? So for us, we're sitting there, we're nitpicking the shit out of this thing. But if we had never seen something like this. Like my grandfather told me, he said that when when people watched this movie and they left the theaters, they walked and walked in on the road home because they were so afraid, like in clusters of people because they were so afraid after watching this movie. That's how much it terrified people. And that's always stuck with me because if I went and watched this movie, like for instance, I was watching it for our podcast and I talk about it all the time. My wife, Abby, she came in, was watching it with me. She started laughing. She's like, yeah. this is comical. Yeah. But then you hear my grandpa talk about it, and it was fucking terrifying. Yeah. 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 My wife actually watched the remake with me for this, and she hates horror movies. <clears throat> Did she love nice. it? Uh, no. 
<laughs> but apparently, I apparently I've made her watch it in the past before. So, oh, okay, good. Yeah, I think we can all agree that we like the remakes opening scene a lot better than the originals. Oh, for sure. I mean, it just not- go ahead. I was gonna say like the opening scene in the remake. Like, there's a lot more to it up until that point where we see Michael kill uh, Judith. Yeah. So, all like, drawn out. Yeah. So, I guess if we're comparing that scene, like, we would have to compare that direct scene, not as the opening scene. So, do we still agree that we like the remakes Judith death better than the original? For me, yes, and here's why. Because I think we have to take this into consideration as well. So let's take out everything from the breakfast scene with Ronnie to the school bully scene. He finally kills for the first time. He kills the bully. Let's take all that out. Even to the fact, even to the up to the point where Judith, or I'm sorry, where Deborah Myers, right, she tells him, hey, bud, I know things have sucked ass around here lately, but tomorrow shit's going to change. You better live it up tonight. Those are the exact words she says. Live it up, right? Yeah. She leaves and goes to work. So I think from that point, because that's the first point where we see Michael in 1978, right, is where he's by himself. He's outside. He's watching up at the window, correct? <clears throat> yeah. So I, I think we have to start, if we're going to compare these scene to scene, we have to start where Michael's outside of the house. And for me, Michael is a kid. That scene is so well written. It's so well directed. It's so well shown. You have Michael sitting outside on the sidewalk. Judith was supposed to take him trick-or-treating. She basically said, fuck off. I'm going to go have sex with my boyfriend, right? He's sitting outside eating candy. Behind him, you see all these kids walk by trick-or-treating with their friends. He doesn't have any friends. His yeah. families walk by him, behind him. They're trick-or-treating with their families. And you, you see that point where Michael, as a young kid, he's like, my life is awful. And my mother said to live it up tonight because tomorrow things are changing. You almost see where it it, it flips for him right there. And that's when he turns around, he walks in the house, and that's when, from that point on, he starts, you know, he kills Ronnie, he kills the boyfriend, he kills Judith. But I think that scene alone is so powerful in, in... us understanding why Michael did what he did and where he was at in that moment. It wasn't like he was like in 78, the 78 version was like, Oh, Hey, just decided to kill tonight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In in this, you see exactly where he was at, what he dealt with the day, that whole day, but also where he's at in that moment. And it, uh, I, and I'm biased. I'm going to say it's a hundred thousand times, but it almost makes you feel bad for him. I was going to say that, like, I felt like as child, Michael, I felt really bad for him throughout that whole, like, first, like, 15, 20 minutes of the movie. He's getting shit on at school. He's getting shit on at home besides his mother. Like, his sister doesn't want anything to do with him. His stepdad's a fucking dickhead. I mean, he's getting bullied at school constantly. The kid's making fun of his, making fun of him because his mom's a stripper and all this shit, like, you feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. And that scene, like Josh, how you were saying, he's sitting outside. Like, I don't know. Like Josh, you and I have kids and every once in a while, like my oldest son will like, he'll want to play and shit like that. And I'll be like, Oh buddy, like just give me a minute. And like, you see him like kind of saunter off and it's just like, fuck, like you feel terrible because he wants your undivided attention, but you can't give it to him in that moment. And Michael experiences that like 24 seven, all the time, like constantly. Right. 
and for me, I don't. And again, I don't know if you guys have or haven't, but if you've ever been bullied at school or you, like you come home from school and you think about it all day <clears throat> after school, you think about I don't fucking want to go back to that. Like I yeah. know what is going to happen tomorrow. You try to avoid it. It's still like these people seek you out, right? Mm-hmm. And I made this. I don't remember if it was on our podcast or the other one, but nonetheless, for me. I think that the the greatest point this movie makes is again about mental health, and I I almost feel like it was too early. Like I feel like if this movie had come out f- even four or five years ago, where yeah. mental health is a, a serious conversation that we have now, yeah, I think it would have been better received because when you look at this kid, what he goes through. The things he's trying to process and just the way that like bullying now is talked about. Like we tell, I have two girls, they're four and six and we talk to them about being a bully. Mm-hmm. How you don't want to be a bully. If you see a kid at school and they're sitting by themselves, go talk to them. Yeah. Go up and ask them how their day's going, right? And they'll come downstairs like Lucy, my six-year-old, she'll come downstairs and she's like, Daddy, <laughs> Charlie's being a bully. So to me, we're having the right conversations with those kids, right? Because you don't want your kid to go to school. A, it terrifies me that my, cause I'm kind of a nerd, right? Let's be honest that my kid's going to go to school and be bullied. But at the same time, you don't want your kid to be that bully. So how do you address that? Yeah. You have those conversations with them. When I was a kid, my parents didn't talk to me about bullies or being a bully or getting bullied or how to deal with it. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. now, again, in 2020, this movie, and again, the Rob Zombie version came out in 2007. That was 13 years ago. Like, they, we weren't yeah. having those conversations even then. No, it's true. Mm-hmm. So, I think the one point that uh, I think that they should take out of the first 1978 halloween is whenever loomis goes to the hospital and you see michael like escape like i feel like that wasn't really needed like i feel like they could have just told us rather than see that whole scene like when he drives up with the doctor or the nurse yeah then like all the patients are outside and then michael jumps on her car and then for some reason loomis isn't there jacks the car and he's like Oh, Michael can't drive, and it's like, well, it looks like he is. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, actually, what's funny to me, your boyfriend, Seth, he actually enjoyed the one, well, and for good reason, I guess, when you think about it, but he likes the Michael breakout scene in 78 more than 2007. What is wrong with him? Um. Well, I mean, the 2007, depending on if you watch the theatrical or if you watch the... um unrated version the breakout scene is drastically different but all right um, i'm gonna i'm gonna pause you there for one sec because after i listened to your episode i was like fuck i wonder which one i'm gonna be end up end up watching and i think i started it on i think it was on shutter that i started watching it on and they had the cut version so the the breakout is like the shitty one if you want to call it that and then i have the unrated version so i went back and i restarted the movie watching my dvd copy of it and it has the whole like lengthy version of it you have rob zombies version yeah 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 so seth liked that which the only thing i gather out of that is because you get that whole that whole dialogue with loomis and i think her name is nurse nancy maybe mary i forget but the nurse, where he's kind of talking about how crazy this guy is and you can't trust him and they're going to give him all these sedatives when he goes in front of the judge. Um, 
But yeah, I agree. The only problem though is that they actually had a hard time um, filling their times that they needed for this movie. So they actually did. So you know that whole scene where um, they're walking home from school in '78. Yeah, that was yeah. all added because the sh- the movie was too short. Oh really? So I don't know if maybe that breakout scene was added also because of that, Brooke. That might be a good point, but I agree with you. Yeah, I don't know maybe. that it, it doesn't add any value. Uh-huh. No, it really doesn't. All it shows is how Michael got a car. Or the fact, yeah, that he has the car, right? But, it, okay, you're telling me that us, three very beautiful, intelligent men, right? <laughs> we see Michael drive by Loomis with the car, and he's got the the insane asylum logo on the car we wouldn't have known where the car came from <laughs> oh my god i'm yeah. not fucking buying that yeah no it's true i hate that scene too whenever michael drives by the three girls and i forget which one it is but she's like speed kills asshole and he's yeah, literally Annie. driving like 10 kilometers an hour past you yeah well they they thought it because she does make a comment that oh i think that's such and such they thought it was a boy they went to school with right yeah yeah okay so she just yelling at him being a dick what is she yelling 2000 do you want some of this young snatch isn't that what she yells in 2000 something like that yeah (laughs) (laughs) i like that one better (laughs) me too what are you gonna do uh and then in the breakout for 2007 i watched it all on shutter so i'm not sure what the uh the zombie edit looked like oh, but dude, it's so different did did danny treo's character deserve to die no um yes and here's why i don't you guys want me to go or you want to go you go all right so brooke to answer your question real quick the unrated version versus the shutter version the shutter version i'm guessing shows where um the three guards which one of which is bill mosley he attacks the guards yeah yeah Okay, in the Rob Zombie version, so do you remember Noel, the guard that Danny Trejo was walking around, and he was like kind of showing him the lay of the land because it sounded like Danny Trejo was going to uh, retire? Yeah, yeah, and the guy's being like a dick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, he looks like Malachi from Children of the Corn. Yes. <laughs> so in the unrated version, he and his cousin come back to the um, hospital at night, and they're drinking whiskey out of a right out of the bottle and they bring a new um uh patient Patient. and it's a a female and they end up raping her in michael's room they take her in michael's room and rape her now that you say that i do remember that scene from i watched it like years ago yeah yeah it gets it's very um it's it's uh, how do i put this it's It's unsettling it is but it's very controversial Mm -hmm. and Rob Zombie's been asked about it, and he still stands by it in his version. I mean, he put it in the unrated version, right? And he stands by it that it's supposed to be unsettling. Yeah. You know, he doesn't say this, but in my – this is, a, again, life according to Josh. Here's why I think he added that and why I don't hate it. Here we go. You guys ready? Here's, you're about to lose That's all cool. your viewers. Um so these two guards rape this girl on Michael's bed, right? They It shows it. They both take turns with this girl, and Michael's sitting there making a paper mache mask. Mm-hmm. The only time that Michael intervened, because you're sitting there, the whole you as a viewer, you're sitting there. You're And again, you saw this kid through the whole first half of the movie that you felt sorry for. You're like, this kid has a shitty life. You're basically in your head trying to justify why Michael is a kid did what he did, right? Because you're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Why wouldn't he do that? <clears throat> now, as an adult, these two pieces of shit 
one of which has already been bullying Michael in the facility, right? Or raping this innocent girl on his bed, and he does absolutely nothing to help this girl. The mm-hmm. only time that they piss him off enough to get him to show any reaction is when the one guard grabs his mask and puts it on. Yeah. yeah. So to me, the purpose of that scene is to show that, hey, he's not a heroine. He is not a hero. He's not a good dude. Yeah. Any of us would have never let that happen, right? Mm-hmm. right. Or we would have done whatever we could to stop it from happening. He just, and again, he's 6'8", humongous. He could have, and he shows that when he actually does go after them, he can kill them like, like that. He, yeah. Right? So that, to me, the purpose of that scene was to show us, the viewer, that, hey, moving forward, he's not a hero. He's not a good guy. Do not feel sorry for this dude. And then we transition into Lori. Mm-hmm. Again, life according to Josh, but that's that's my theory on it. <laughs> no, and that's exactly the point that I was going to bring up too is that he doesn't do fuck all until they start messing with his masks. And Danny Trejo had already warned the one guy not to touch his shit. Right. That's whenever he gets pissed off. But like I said before, like I watched this movie with my wife. Oh, excuse me. And she said like this part's kind of stupid in a sense. Because the one, like, why would they do that in front of him? Like, look at the size of this guy. Like, one punch and you're you're both going down. Like, yeah. he's got to, all he's got to do is grab a hold of you and you're fucked. So, like, why are they testing him? Why are they pushing him to that limit? Like, why do they not think that he won't react? Well, I think the one part of it is liquid courage, right? Because you see he's got that bottle of whiskey, and he's drank just about all of it. And you can tell by the way he's acting, he's pretty lit. And then in the scene before that where he's with Danny Trejo, he's like talking all this shit. Like he wants – he's got that, again, for lack of a better term, little man syndrome, right? He's like that little guy that wants to, okay, you're 6'8". It doesn't matter. I will fuck you up. Yeah. No, you're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, how did this guy even get this job? Like, how is he talking to the fucking patients like that? The yeah. other thing, and I had, I don't remember who I had this conversation with, but it's like, I, I've i never been in, and again, it's a lot of unknowing, right? Like, I've never been in one of these institutions. I've never worked at one of these institutions. I don't know what kind of people they hire. And if you watch um, something like, let's say, American Horror Story Season 2, where they're, yeah. Yeah. the whole thing is around the asylum, there's some shitty stuff that goes on around there. And then you think yeah. back to this was supposed to take place. And I don't know. I don't think Rob Zombie ever says, but if you look at the rest of his movies, generally they take place in the seventies. Like, I don't know what kind of scumbags they were hiring. I don't think this one takes place in the seventies. I think it's the eighties, right? Cause then she have the, the kiss or the kiss. He has a kiss shirt on. Yeah. Yeah. So was Danny Trejo at the rape or he knew about it? Like, is that why you think he deserved to die? Oh, I don't no. think he deserved to die. Don't get me wrong. He didn't oh, deserve okay, to okay. die, but I think his death was important because, right. especially in your version, because your version, you don't see that he lets this this girl get raped by two different yeah, people yeah. before he right. reacts. Your version, and it happens in the unrated version as well, but again, I think it emphasizes even more that he's not a Right. Good yeah, person. Yeah. He doesn't care who you are. He's just going to kill you. Yes. And but I think it, 
Go ahead. I was going to say to answer Brooke's question. No, I don't think Danny Trejo deserved to die, but right. I feel like it's, it's an integral part of the story. Correct. Yeah, that's fair. Cause Correct. Trejo is like, he's always been nice to Michael. He's always talked to him. He's always done little extra things for him. And Michael just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And Trejo, as he's dying, he says to him, I've always been nice to you. And Michael yeah. just drowns him anyways. Yeah. Yep. 100% agree. How much shit would have been in your pants whenever Trejo walks out to Michael, like with the handcuffs, like, all right, Mikey, just going to uh, put these on you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> holy fuck. If what? I'm being honest, I probably wouldn't have walked up to him. I would have just been like, all right, I'm out. I'm out, dude. I'm yeah. out. But you yeah. know why I love that in scene? three months. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's the other thing, right? He did this. He's been with Michael and he's retiring in three months, whatever. But the reason I love that scene and what I think it really does is it, it really plays into what Malcolm McDowell, as Dr. Loomis says throughout this whole movie, because he's like, all right, Mikey, we got to put these handcuffs on you. You know the drill, right? So Michael yeah. puts his hands up and when Danny Trejo is, is you know, vulnerable, he knows when to kill him. It plays into what Loomis says. He's not stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like Danny Trejo kind of, he thinks he has an idea of who Michael really is because he's been taking care of him for like 17 years or whatever, but he really has no clue. Right. But Trejo's not like a doctor or anything like that. He's just like, I don't know. I don't know if he's a cleaner or if he's a guard, but at one point we see him up on a floor. The next point you yeah. see him in Michael's room. Like, I don't know if the guards in this hospital are also house cleaners. I don't know. Yeah. But like, He's not a doctor. We we know that much for sure. So I think yeah, he's he probably, a janitor is what I gathered from yeah. it. Because he says that he had been incarcerated before and he knows what walls or windows look like or something. And he, he alludes to that. that, that I yeah. think that's why he feels bad for Michael. That's true. Yeah, fair enough. But, I mean, yeah, so he doesn't – he probably doesn't know everything that's in Michael's file. He just knows him as being a quiet dude that makes his masks. Right. And he saw the guy being a fucking shithole person to him earlier. Yeah. What do you think, Brooke? Do you think he deserved to die? In my version, no, I don't. I don't think so. But I also like Danny Trejo, so I guess I'm kind of biased. (laughs) (laughs) But in in both versions, in both versions, Trejo isn't there during the whole rape thing. Like he comes in afterwards, right? Like. Like when Trejo comes in, it's the same in both in both versions. It's not like they don't change that part at all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and do you think the sentencing would have been different for both movies? Because in the 1978 version, Michael only kills his sister because you know, as you guys said in your episode, the 30 second guy he just books it right <laughs> over there. <laughs> but then in the 2007 version, he kills three people, and I don't know if they know that he killed the kid. Who is from Spy Kids, by the way? Fuck. Uh, in the forest. Do you know Seth knows that guy? Uh, did you guys listen to that episode? Wait, he knows him. He knowed. He know. He knowed. He knowed. <laughs> he knows the uh, bully from uh, the beginning of the movie, the one that uh, Michael kills in the woods with the the branch. I missed that part of the conversation. Yeah. So Seth went to a um, art school in California, and um, okay. He knew that kid from school, I guess. He worked on a set with him at one point in time. Really? Yeah. So he was a That's nice guy. Cool. Didn't didn't deserve to get beat to death with a stick. <laughs> um, that, this, go ahead. No, you go because I'm going to – my 
thing is a change of topic, so you go. Okay, the sentencing, I again, I don't know. I think this takes place in the 80s. I think that Malcolm McDowell's Loomis really wanted to help Michael, so I think that, that probably helped. Today, I don't know. I don't know He's if... three life sentences. I think he would probably, as a kid that young, yes, but with the way the court system works and the way that you're allowed to... Um, Again, I without going down a rabbit hole, I I really yeah, don't yeah, know. Yeah. I think back then, probably, I think probably that's how it would have went. He would have gotten um, a life sentence to a mental institution. Yeah, I can agree with that. I was going to bring up that uh, that death scene with the kid in the woods. I like we were watching it, and I forget Sarah, my wife. I forget what she said. She said something about she hate. I don't know. She, I don't want to say she hates the fact that I like horror movies, but like she doesn't understand the fact that I like horror movies. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what goes through your mind whenever shit like this happens? And I said to her, I'm like this death scene right now that we're watching with this kid getting bludgeoned with a giant ass fucking tree branch. I said, I don't like it. I'll watch an adult get killed fucking for 90 minutes straight. I don't even care. But like whenever you add in the factor that it's a kid and Brooke, you and I have talked about this before, even though he's a piece of shit and like Michael, I don't want to say had every reason to kill him, but it's understandable why Michael snapped. Yeah. I like that scene makes me feel really uneasy and I don't like it. Right. I mean, it's effective. I, I shouldn't say I don't like it. Like it's a good scene. It's effective, but it doesn't make me feel good. Like I don't like watching it. Well, I don't think yeah. any of us wa- love the. And again, I think that if we're took the time to pay the money for all the fucking equipment we have to do these podcasts, right? We love <laughs> horror movies. Yes. But watching that scene, a few it, to me again, a few things stuck out to me is that a when that kid, that bully, leaves the school, he's talking to his friend. He's like, "Ah, fuck! I got suspended again. My dad's gonna kick my ass, right?" Yeah. So what we know now in 2020 about bullies is that most bullies are bullied at home or they have a really shitty home life. So they come yeah. to school or wherever, work. How there's adults to get to get bullied, right? So yeah. these people come to these places where they have power over somebody else. So you know this kid probably has a really shitty home life. Yeah, he's a terrible person to Michael early on in the movie. Does he deserve to die? No. But again, you look at it from Michael's point of view, and I think, again, and I'm Rob Zombie fanboy, whatever, you look at the way he shot this fucking scene. This scene is beautiful, man. So, yes, he hits the kid with the, the piece of wood or the, the branch, whatever. Seth corrects me every time, but this big-ass <laughs> log. We'll call it a log. He hits him with the log, right? He actually stops. He takes yeah. the mask off, and he looks at the kid because the kid's begging him. He's like, please, please don't do this. Well, first, he's like, I'm going to yeah. kick your ass, yada, yada. And the kid realizes, hey, I'm not going to get out of this. So he's like, please. And you see that kid at his most vulnerable state, right? Because this is, keep in mind, earlier this kid was bullying Michael in the bathroom in front of his friends, making fun of his mom, etc. Mm-hmm. Now it's just one-on-one. Michael clearly has him done. He yeah. can do whatever he wants to him. He Michael takes the mask off because the kid is pleading with him. He's like, please, please don't do this, right? <laughs> And he pulls the fucking flyer out of his pocket 
and he sees his mom on the flyer. Yeah. And he puts the mask back on and he kills the kid. But we don't see that. What we see is, in my opinion, from the point of view of the kid getting killed, you see the trees, you see the skylight, you see the birds, you hear the birds. The score is phenomenal in this scene. Mm-hmm. I think it's well done. It's tasteful. And I, I, I understand that's hard to understand with a Rob Zombie movie, but I think it's done very mm-hmm. tastefully in the aspect that you get to see what Michael's feeling, what this kid that he's killing is feeling. And we, it, me, I understand both points of view of that scene. And I think that is what makes these movies great is that the directors, the writers, they're able to answer your wife's question. Make sure she listens to this, Mark. Is that they take both points of view and they put you right in the center of it and it's shot at such an angle, such a um, aesthetic point of view that you like almost feel bad for both of them, but you understand why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's leading. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, the kid, the bully is going through the same shit at home that Michael's going through. He's just taking it. He's getting that release in a different way. Yeah. hundred like, percent. M- Michael's more internalizing it and like seeking revenge. Whereas this kid's just being a full out bully at school where he has that power. Well, plus Michael's smaller, right? So this kid can yeah. go to school and bully younger kids, smaller kids. Michael doesn't have that ability. It's why he's hurting mm-hmm. animals. He's killing animals. Yeah. Yeah. And like another thing to that scene, why zombie did such a good job at filming. It, it's like, He's like, okay, I got to film a scene of killing this kid. You know, it's terrible. So I got to sprinkle in these little things, like, leading up to it, like, make you, like, not want the kid to die, but have more reason. Like, he's leaving the school. He's like, I got detention again. If I find that Myers kid, I'm going to kill him. Right. And then you see Michael watching him, and you see him bumping another kid, steal his hat, and be like, hey, you want this fucker? And spit in it. It's like, hey, this guy's... big piece of shit. So I think it just adds to that scene. Dude, I'm so glad you brought that up because in that scene, and I never realized this till my last rewatch to do our podcast was you see the kid leave the school. He spits in that other kid's hat, but then you see Michael watching him from a distance, which is Mm -hmm. what Michael does as an adult later in the movie. That's what we know Michael to do. He lurks in the shadows. He watches from a distance. He, analyzes what's going on and that's where he kind of comes into play and determines what he's going to do later and to see that as a kid it's like wow that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i think all the haters of this movie need to rewatch it well in their defense and again i like to play devil's advocate you guys know my feeling on this movie but i think that if you cannot separate the two if you cannot put carpenter's halloween over here and zombies Halloween over here and separate what they are and appreciate them for what each of them are, you're going to hate one or the other. Yeah. Josh, you have any scenes you want to talk about? Actually, those two scenes are the ones I had written down. Um, without going too down, down too far of a rabbit hole, um, the one scene I really like is, again, they added it to Carpenter's version because they needed to fill in time, but it's where you actually get to see Lori and her friends interact, right? Yeah. So in 1978, you know, we see all these friends. You got Lori, Tina, and Anna. Anna. Annie. Sorry. But these girls are really fucking mean to Lori. 
Oh, yeah. Like, they're awful to her. Yeah, they are. So it's almost like she's friends with these girls because she doesn't have any other options. Whereas I feel in Rob Zombie's version, when you see this scene, everything's a little different. So you don't have Lori in the classroom. The teacher asks her the question. She, oh, snaps out of it after seeing Michael, again, out in the schoolyard by his car. She snaps out, answers the question, then comes back, and Michael's gone, right? Well, with Lori... We don't have that scene. We have the library scene. She sees Michael. She's talking with her friends, etc. But nonetheless, I think what in the 1978 version, you really get that feeling, which I think they did a great job, even though this was an added scene later. But I think they do a great job of making you feel like, man, these two are terrible fucking friends to Lori versus 2007 where Rob Zombie really makes you feel like, hey, these three have a connection. They're friends. They're like sisters. How yeah. me and my friends were in in school, right? Like those were your your buddies, your dogs. Like you would do anything for those guys. That's how I felt. Yeah. Lori and her friends were in Zombies version versus Carpenter's version, where it was like, oh, Lori basically hangs out with these two because that's you know shouldn't have any other options. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Even like whenever I think it's Lori and uh, Annie, they like leave the school. And then I think Linda is her name, like catches up and is like, Oh, why don't you guys wait for me? And you're like, Oh, we waited like 10 minutes. And it's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very similar. And even the dialogue, you can tell Rob Zombie took the dialogue from the first one and made it relevant for 2007 with the way they're talking, the things they're talking about. Cause it's very similar you can just tell the difference in eras and how the girls talk and um, the terminology they use, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made those perfect little changes throughout it. I think so. Other people disagree. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that was the the other scene. And then I don't know if you guys want to jump into it now, but the, the closing scene, the closet scene versus the wall scene, it, I mean, up to you guys. Yeah, we can get to that. Like, we're kind of jumping all around anyway. So, <laughs> sorry, I know it's my fault. I can't help it. No, no. Um, but actually, one question I had uh, for you guys in the 2007 version: how how did Michael figure out that Lori was his sister from the beginning? Um, in my opinion, in 2007. Um, Lori takes the documents to the house. Michael's there, which has that other great fucking scene where he actually gets the mask back from the beginning, which yeah. is something yeah, I, it. I love. Yeah. But she drops the documents through the door. He picks them up and smells them. I don't know if you, everybody makes fun of this, but I don't know if you notice it, but he actually <laughs> picks the documents up and he smells the envelope. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think triggers him to follow her throughout the movie, but then he gets to. Um, her house later where her parents are out whatever, he finds the family portrait or whatever, him, her and her um, parents. But I think we're supposed to derive from him smelling the, those papers and smelling her scent that that's how he knew who she was. Okay. Yeah, because he has the picture that his mom gave him whenever he was still in the hospital. Yeah, right. But like he can't go from that to just automatically realizing that she's his sister. Right. And even in the beginning of the movie, like he kills the boyfriend, he kills Judith, he kills Ronnie, he picks up 
Lori, Boo, they call her Boo. Boo. I think her name's yeah. Angel, actually. But he picks her up and takes her outside. And when Deborah Myers, the mom, finds him <laughs> after he's done all of these heinous acts, he's outside cradling the baby. He's protecting her, which I, and again, might be yeah. jumping ahead, but he's, he's protecting her even in that moment. Yeah. So I think he's throughout this whole thing, his entire existence has been to get back to her. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that too, because like, even in that breakfast scene, he the only one that he gives any shit about is his mother and Boo. Like he goes up and kisses her on the forehead and says, "Oh, happy Halloween, Boo!" Right. And mm-hmm. like you see that affection between him and her, because she, her and the mother, like Boo and the mother, are the only ones that haven't wronged him. Right. Like they're not assholes yeah. to him. They, I mean, she's obviously a baby, but like. Deborah is really good to him. She's a, I don't know if I want to call her a good mother, but she's, I don't know. She cares about him more than the rest of the family does for sure. I was kind of pissed at Deborah too, because she kind of took like the shitty way out. That was one of the hardest things I had to come to terms with with this movie is that, yeah. Okay. Michael kills your entire family or whatever, when, or whatever. Like I make it sound like it's, you know, <laughs> You know, or whatever. But nonetheless, she still has the baby at home. And, and that's, again, it's such a great scene. When Loomis and Deborah realize that, like, Michael is uncurable. It's that scene where he kills, right before he kills the nurse. You can even see yeah, it in yeah. their eyes. They're like, he's, Loomis is like, I can't help this kid. Deborah's like, yeah. my son is gone. Yeah. So, no, I agree with you, Brooke. Like, I'm like, wow, even though that, is the situation like I still don't think that I agree with you. Like that's I've never been in that situation, but it's like yeah, you, you still, still have a baby to raise. Yeah, exactly. Like it's you and the baby at this point. Like you don't have to go back and see Michael. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. but still, because you hear like you, she's watching those home videos, and you guys talked about this in your episode too. Like she's watching those home videos, and she's crying, and then like it's kind of like it's quiet in the house and then you hear the gunshot and then all you hear is Lori or boo scream right her yeah. cry yeah yeah 100 percent agree mm-hmm. i love uh uh sherry moon zombies performance in this movie actually like you just you see the fear in her eyes whenever she sees michael like the nurse is dead mm-hmm. and you just see that in her eyes like and her like body it's like holy fuck yeah i feel like she gets a bad rap because the majority of the movies she's in are rob zombie movies but i don't feel like she does even in halloween 2 i don't feel like she does a bad job i think she does a really great job and again it's i'm biased but you know i think that people give her a bad rap i don't think she's a great actress but she's not terrible either i think she plays the part the way it's supposed to be played yeah 100 percent yeah. She has some annoying qualities. Like I find her voice really annoying and her laugh really annoying, but I feel like she plays into those more. Right. Cause she, she does like, she has more of like that whiny high pitched voice whenever she's baby than she did. Like, let's just say in the Halloween movies. Yeah. hundred percent. And I feel yeah. like she knows when like the laugh, the baby laugh is iconic. Yeah. You know, before all these stupid copyright issues, I had it in our intro. So yeah. yeah. 
Do you guys have some copyright issues? <laughs> Get a couple of emails here and there. It's fine. Nonetheless, all of our music is custom. I We created it, mixed it. It's all our music, so fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and another little nitpick I had of the, the 2007 version, I didn't like how Michael's hair went from being blonde to brown, like when he was an adult. I don't know. Yeah. It's a little... Nitpick. Yeah, because he's not like, like as a kid, he's not like a dirty blonde where it's kind of believable. He's like fucking albino blind or blonde, <laughs> not blind. <laughs> albino blonde, like it's like very fair skinned, very very blonde hair, and then yeah. yeah, it turns into brown as he gets older. I don't know. It's a small little gripe, I guess. I yeah, yeah. Now, and 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 hit again. I'm over here. I feel like I'm on the HMC again, where I was defending this fucking movie the whole time. But my wife had blonde hair as a kid, and now she has black hair. Not dyed. Her hair is just naturally black. Black. Yeah. Jesus. Beautiful black-haired woman. Do you think she's gonna listen to this? I. Don't, she's probably listening to me right now. She's a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know if you guys noticed. I'm sure Josh did in the remake because he, you know. But uh, the little nod to the uh, the remake. Well, there's a lot of nods in it. But whenever they mention the hardware store, when the the Lori's dad is like, "Oh, the hardware store closed down." It's like, "Oh yeah, it's been open for 30 years." Yeah. <laughs> right. I never I never clued into that, but yeah, that's funny. I just find it funny that in the first movie. Um, they pull up in brackets outside the hardware store. Sheriff Brackett, which is Annie's <laughs> dad, right? He's outside the hardware store. You know they've been smoking this joint in the car. So A, you know he smelled it. And B, yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, nothing to be concerned about. Some kids broke in here. They stole a couple Halloween masks, some tape, and some knives. Yeah. <laughs> and rope. Like, nothing what? Are you fucking kidding me? Like that's yeah. that's they are doing something bad. Like if they broke into Walmart and bought some fuck, stole some eggs. Like okay, nothing. Yeah. Like they stole eggs. Eh, like, they stole some masks, <clears throat> some knives, some rope. Yeah. Like nah. And Lori and Annie are like they're driving that direction. Like if you know you have marijuana in your car, just don't go to them. Just turn the other way. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit! It's my dad. <laughs> yeah, let's pull up and say hello. I yeah. think Sheriff Brackett was kind of a pervert, you want my opinion, but what do you know? What yeah. are you gonna do? You know, he was played by Brad Duriff in the remake. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God he was played by Chucky. You didn't like Brad Dorif as Brackett? No, I love him. It's just oh. just your reaction was kind of took me off. What do you mean? I don't know. Thank God. Yeah, I thought Brad Dorf did great, especially in Halloween 2 with that Annie scene. We're way fucking off topic here, boys. <laughs> I like Brad Dorf as Bracket. I love, like, yeah, I like him in anything that he's yeah. in. Wow, you're blushing. Yeah. You have like a man crush on Brad Dorf? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the, the Loomises are like, they're so different in each movie because pretty much Loomis from the first one, like his plan is like, all right, this is the house. I was going to go stand outside here for, you know, 30, 40 minutes and get scared by Bracket every now and then. 
Yeah, I, I know you're not a big fan of Loomis, uh, Brooke. Honestly, I'm. I think he's laughable. But again, I what I try to do with these movies is put myself in a 1978 viewer's stance, and I I don't know if he is or he isn't great. But uh, I, if you were like, hey, HMC episode, it's um, truth no dare section. Loomis in zombie or Carpenter. I'm taking zombie every time. I am too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Marcus, any scenes you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know. Up until like the end scene, no, I don't think so. I think we've covered everything that I've wanted to discuss. Like I wanted to talk about the opening and like that, uh, the bully's death and all that shit. But yeah. What about the two, comparing the two, um, Annie, well, not deaths because one Annie dies and one doesn't. Yeah. But kind of like those two. I kind of like how she stays alive in the remake. Like I did, except whatever she had to like awkwardly have her boobs out when her dad found her like naked. I don't know. I thought that was kind of awkward. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she did just finish having sex. So and dude, she of... was so provocative in that sex scene. Yeah, she yeah. was. I think she said, "Do you want to fuck me twice?" Because <laughs> I'm watching like, it oh, and I'm yes, like, I do. I'm like, yeah. And then she said it again. I like, I had to pause it and look around. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Anyway, um, I do like that they. Here's the thing, though, because if you listen to Rob Zombie, he's like, I never meant to make another one. This was it. This is the whole story for me. Um, obviously, he kind of, in my opinion, he kind of got bullied into making the second, which is fine. But I kind of like that that Daniel Harris as Annie lives. Um, again, it's kind of weird that the dad found her that way, but that's the way she was prior to yeah. him killing her, right? So it makes sense. Like Michael's not going to cover her up. But god oh, damn, no. dude! In Halloween <laughs> too, when she dies, oh my god, dude! That is so heart wrenching as a as a father of two little girls. And seeing the way, and again, Brad Dorf is, is bracket in the unrated yeah. version where he finds her just this fuck dismantled by by Michael, and then you see all these home videos play of. I think what we're supposed to derive from that is that that is what bracket is thinking as he finds his daughter dead, like all those home videos that are playing through his brain, very Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah, but what a fucking heart wrenching scene! And even Seth in our last episode, H two, he actually changed his entire rating of Halloween two, Rob Zombie's Halloween two, based off of Lori's scene where she's holding Annie, like he, like that picture. He was like that fucking yeah. picture, fuck me up for a week. Yeah, like to me, if you're able to fucking, it, it wasn't even the video that fucked him. It was the picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I gotta watch that again. It's been a while since I've watched it. Like I do remember what you're talking about, but yeah. Like touche, <laughs> Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh. What were some of your favorite deaths in either movie? In either movie, um, gosh, I'll be honest. We can speak freely now that Mark uh, that Mark's not here. But the deaths in 1978 weren't flattering. So for me, um, what do, what do I want to talk about here? I think here's the thing. So Annie's death, right? 
Yeah. Are you getting a ton of feedback? No. Okay. So Annie's death, where we see Michael, I think this shows uh, Michael's strengths in terms of um, his mental ability. And in, in 1978, is that he fucks with Annie, right? So her car's locked. She goes in the house, gets the keys. Big time. Comes back. Oh, she gets in the car. She doesn't unlock it, so she didn't even need the keys. And then yeah. she finds out that like the the windows all fogged up, right? So I think that shows, hey, Michael's maybe not as dumb as we thought he was, but also that no. scene, and even Linda's death scene, they're kind of corny. The only one that's not terrible yeah. is Bob's. Yeah. yeah. And like with any scene, like speaking on, you know, Michael kind of being smart and like fucking with her, when she's doing laundry, like he, you see him standing outside the door and then she goes and looks and then she's like, sings it's Lindsay. And then you see Michael in the background of the other door and you're like, holy fuck, like where the hell is this guy? Like she has no idea. What's funny is the thing that stood out to us the most about that Annie scene where she spills popcorn butter on her is is like, <laughs> did they really have their laundry rooms outside of the house? I, it's weird. I don't Very know. Weird. weird to me. Yeah, but I would say for me, the one that sticks out the most is probably going to be Annie's death scene along with Mark, but, or uh, Mark, <laughs> Mark's fucking death hey. scene, um, <laughs> Bob's. But again, I don't think they did a great job of making us really relate to any of the characters outside of Lori. So if Lori had gotten killed in that, I think we would have been like, ah, oh, fuck. But Annie, complete bitch to Lori right out of the gate. Like, her and Tina yeah. both, they weren't great friends. Yeah. That's my theory. Yeah. I think I think I liked Ronnie's death the best because of how cool it was and stuff. But Ronnie was the grown-up version of the bully he killed in school. Mm. Oh, for sure. I, yeah. I didn't, honest to God, until you just said that, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's true. Because when he's sitting at the breakfast table, like you can tell right away he's a piece of shit. Right. He obviously has eyes for uh, Deborah's daughter, like clear as Which day. Which is fucked. Very fucked up. Oh, for sure. For sure. Talks about her dumper, her little nice little dumper. Yeah. And yeah. like clearly he doesn't give a shit about Boo either because, <laughs> you know, says, you know, fucking punch the baby in the face or something stupid like that. Yeah. So I think his death was not only like the coolest, um, but probably the most deserving, if I can say that, I guess. In 2007's version, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for me, 78, it was de- uh, probably Annie's death was the one that I remember the most. Um, 2007, I think I said this on our podcast, it was the bully's death for me. Like, I can relate to it. Not that I would ever go out and fucking kill somebody that bullied me, but nonetheless, I could. Yeah. I sympathize with Michael in that moment. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I think you also have to appreciate what they did in writing and in directing that scene of how you honestly felt bad for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from 78, I think I liked Linda's death, like with her boyfriend going to get a beer, coming back with like the old school ghost costume. Um, I thought that was really cool, but you wouldn't have been able to do that version of the death in the remake because Michael like was the same size as the guy that she was sleeping with, but in the remake, the guy is so much bigger, so you wouldn't have been able to done something like that in the remake. 
Well, that was one of the things we brought up was like, cause they mm-hmm. try to do that. Right. So, and again, that was one of the jump scenes, you know, you know, Seth, that dude, dude is, if there's a fucking jump scare, <laughs> Seth shits his pants, but that was one of the ones that got him was right. So, and I think, I think Rob Zombie did a great job of playing homage to the original, even in that scene. Cause you see Bob, you see somebody come up the steps with the ghost sheet on and the glasses and as he gets to that top step and starts walking, Michael comes out of the corner and just fucking kills him, right? Yeah. 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 Until that part, I was like, well, fuck, maybe that is Michael doing that. But then I agree with you. Even though Linda is much hotter in the second movie, <laughs> he walks in with the ghost the ghost sheet on, and you're like, I think I said this on our podcast. I was like, how does she not know that this dude is like a foot taller than the guy that just went out to get her a beer. But yeah, I don't know what they're, maybe they were doing some mushrooms. I don't know. I think from the remake, I like the boyfriend's death the most because that's where we get that iconic head turn. That's the first time we ever see it. Yep. He fucking stabs this guy into the wall. Now, Josh, you guys talked about it on your episode that it's probably not possible um, (laughs) (laughs) to do that. But regardless, the way that Michael looks at him, he gets that head turn. I think that makes it my my favorite kill. You're talking Bob, not uh, Ju- not Judas' boyfriend. You're talking no, Bob. No, no, no. Yeah, Bob. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um. Yeah. The physics don't add up for me, but nonetheless, it's the Michael Myers thing. He is known for pinning people to walls with butcher knives, even yeah. in even in Halloween 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Even in here we go. Halloween six, the curse of Michael Myers, he grabs one of the nurses and there's like a hook coming out of the wall and he grabs her and he slams her into that hook yeah, and hangs her up on the wall. Um, but uh, yeah, my favorite kill from the remake. Yeah, Brooke, I think I'm going to agree with you on Ronnie's on Ronnie's kill. Uh, I don't know if it would actually pan out that way. Like this guy's got to be like, fucking right out of it to not feel that Michael's taping them all up and shit. Oh, I think he was. <clears throat> oh, he was. Like, he's a, he's obviously a drunk and he's fucking plastered and passed out in the chair. But, I mean, do you not think... Like, d- Michael had, yeah. like, five rolls of fucking duct tape over this guy. <laughs> right, I but like- I think it's the booze. Obviously, he's a drunk, which I can relate yeah. to. But he also... <laughs> I think that that's... Another genius thing, low key, the guy's got his arms broken, right? Because he says he's going to break, when his hand heals, he's going to break it on Boo's face or Michael's face. Michael's face, I think, yeah. Okay, so he's probably got some pain pills going on, right? Low key. That's fair. You don't have to say that. You see the guy, he just had surgery. He's got his shit all bandaged up. He's probably on some pain pills and and drinking booze. So yeah, he's, he's likely very out of it. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I like the effort that Michael put into it. Like it was obviously planned out. So I like that one, but I also like Judas' boyfriend. He's sitting at the kitchen table making himself a sandwich, and then all of a sudden he gets a fucking aluminum baseball bat to the back of the head. Old Steve. Yeah. And <laughs> Michael like just goes nuts on him after he, he hits him that initial time. Oh, I like love the kind of, sound he was, effect. He's like he's like grunting and yeah. oh, it's so it's so rich. Just like the metal bat too, go off his head. Hundred yeah. percent. I think we talked about this on our podcast. But like, if you were gonna hit somebody with a bat, that's how you'd hit them. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the whole fucking axe smash right over the top of your head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It almost seemed like he wanted to take Michael out trick-or-treating because he was like, all right, sorry, little man, have fun out there. <laughs> like, kind of like, yeah. being, like, lay back, you know, good guy. But then I don't know if he funny. wanted to, but he was, he was like, sorry, dude, I'm going to go fuck your sister instead of taking <laughs> you out trick-or-treating. Right, right. Yeah. Well, one thing Seth brought up, and I don't think this is way down rabbit hole, but he was like, "How did that dude score Judith? Like Judith is a dime piece. Like where, where did this guy come from? She's a dime piece, but she comes from yeah. a shitty ass poor family too. So, yeah. And speaking of that, um, during Judith's death in 2007, she's listening to uh, the music. She's uh, listening to "Don't Fear the Reaper" by Lucifer Cult, and that was playing yeah. in the car. From the first movie as well yeah i did notice that but that's cool yeah agreed um what about well we've yeah is there anything else you guys want to talk about with this or with the kills i mean um i think that covered the majority of my kills <laughs> honestly um i think i'm good there all right yeah I have in my notes like comparing special effects and whatnot. I feel like I know the answer to this question, but what do you guys, what movie has the better special effects? What I liked about both of them is that neither of them used any CGI. They were all practical effects. Yeah. Um, again, I feel like I've said this probably 10 times now, so I'm sorry, but I feel like you have to put yourself in the position of the viewer at that point in time, right? Mm-hmm. So to compare the two, I for me, being 32 years old and in 19, or I'm sorry, in 2020, I prefer, and again, I'm biased as shit. I yeah. prefer the Rob Zombie movie. But I think what John Carpenter and Deborah Hill did in 1978 with the, they didn't have a lot of blood, um, and they still created these iconic scenes that we still remember today. And even some of the scenes that Rob Zombie used in, in 2007, um, with the head till uh, Bob being stabbed up against the door with the butcher knife. I don't. I don't think. I think you got to give it up to both of them. They did a great job mm-hmm. for what they had yeah. to work with in those times. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree with you because like neither movie really used too many like special effects like in their kills. Like it's just have, like a knife, you know, stabbing someone. There's not much more to it. Like. Obviously, the remake had more in the opening scene because they had way more kills. They kind of had to do different things with that. But yeah, I think like both movies did a good job for what they uh, what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Definitely, it's hard. It's hard to say which one's better because I mean both of them are very respectable. Yeah. Um. This is a question I don't think we've asked in one of these episodes, but which Michael did you guys like better? Is it that you're joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a question that's got to be asked, though. You want me to go first, or maybe I should? Well, maybe I should close. We know your answer. Anyways. Okay, yeah. all right, you guys go ahead. Uh, I, I respect the 1978 michael because you know he's like one of the most iconic movie horror movie villains ever Mm -hmm. but i just like what they did in the 2007 remake like 
he's not only this big guy, but he makes all these different masks. Like the mask he wears when he breaks out is just as terrifying as the William Shatner mask, I think. Mm-hmm. And even when he's wearing it, like as a kid, whenever the one scene, whenever Loomis like explain like the, the color spectrum to him when he's like, well, what's your favorite color? He's like black. He's like, well, you know, black isn't technically a color, you know, they got white and then, you know, all that. So I think I'd go with the remake, but I definitely respect the hell out of the 1978 version. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I, I much prefer the remake version of him. Um, and yeah, I mean, Michael Myers is a horror icon, but in the original, like he's kind of a bitch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Hear me out. He, okay. He's not a bitch. He's very uncoordinated <laughs> and not good at killing. Mm. He yeah. goes to, is it Lori that he goes to stab on the couch? Uh, yeah, and she yes. stabs him with the uh, knitting thing. Yeah, and he completely fucking misses her. Yes. Like, h- how do you miss her? Yes. <laughs> and then she, st- yeah, she stabs him with the knitting needle. He falls down, whether he pretends to be dead or whether he's knocked out or whatever. And then she goes upstairs and she hides in this closet with those little slats in it. And Josh, you guys talked about this in your episode too, but he can't he's struggling to break through this door. How the fuck is this guy who's supposed to be some like hardened killer struggling to get through this like little wooden door? Yeah. Again, I think you have to take it with a grain. I know, I know, I know, but I see what you're saying. I much Everybody, anybody listens to our podcast, the Horror Movie Crew podcast, knows which version of Michael I prefer. Yes, Rob Zombies all day. I want my Michael to be huge, yeah, overpowering, terrifying, and mentally smart. He's a killing machine. He not only is he mentally smart, he's mentally unstable too. He is to a certain extent, but he his in my again. This is life according to Josh. His sole goal is to protect Angel Myers, Boo, Lori Strode. That's his sole goal, and he's to get back with her, reconnect with her, protect her moving forward. That's what Until I she think. she stabs him in the neck. And then, and then you see what happens with him when she does that, right? Which is another great part is that you see his overall rage, his overall power, mm-hmm. and still – at the end, in my opinion, at the end of the movie, he still protects yeah. her, which we'll After get to, he, I'm sure. No, I I listened to your episode on this movie before I watched the episode, and that scene that where he fucking runs at her and pushes like they fall out the window. I never clued in that he probably turned himself so that he was underneath her whenever they landed, and like that changed that whole scene for me. After I'm, I listened to you guys' episode. I'm basically here. My existence <laughs> on Earth is to make people appreciate Rob Zombie's Hall of Fucking Ween. Dude, we're with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. 
Before we talk about the ending real quick, we didn't even mention the one scene that I liked in 2007 remake whenever Michael gets his famous uh, jumpsuit when he kills <laughs> Big Joe Grizzly. Yeah. And I got the quote here in front of me whenever uh, Big Joe's in the bathroom. He's like, hey, buddy, just give you a heads up. We got to talk with Supreme talking back at me. I'm going to be a while. So do you mind waiting somewhere else and let me pass this beast in peace? <laughs> Hell yes, Joe Grizzly, baby. Oh, he's a legend. I love yeah. that scene, dude. Again, it's it, <sighs> and he doesn't back down at all. No, like both guys' heads are above the the stall, and as soon as he opens the the door, you assume that Big Joe is gonna be like, "Holy fuck!" But he just like steps out. Is like, there's no, no reaction. Yeah, no reaction at all. But he just gets fucked up. Gets yeah. up and, he doesn't stand a chance. Again, it plays into the what Rob Zombie is trying to show you that Michael is ridiculous. Yeah. He fucking bends that stall like. <laughs> but at the same time, Joe Grizzly never lets go of that knife. Like no, he he's doesn't. like beat Michael's beating Joe Grizzly's arm against that bathroom stall wall, and he still holds on to the knife for the majority of that scene. Yeah. All right. We can talk about the ending. I've been yeah. waiting on pens and needles to discuss this ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, you go first. Then. I get to go first? Yeah, let's hear it. All right, so one of my favorite um, comparisons to discuss is the endings of both movies. So, And I have to give it to the writing. Deborah Hill, John Carpenter in Halloween 1978. So what we see is Lori, she goes into the... She sends... Uh, Tommy and Lindsay into a, ba- a different room, which I don't understand why. That's fine. Sends them yeah. into a different room. She goes into a bedroom. She opens the balcony doors and she gets in the closet thinking, you know, rationally, okay, he's going to think I went out those doors, but she's hiding in the closet. It, sure. Yes. And I, honestly, I fucking hated the scene until on our podcast, Seth and Jess and I talked through it and Seth was kind of like, Hey, look, a closet is a safe space for some people. Likely in 1978, people were thinking, oh my God, that's brilliant. Open the balcony doors, get in the closet. He'll think you went out the balcony and he'll leave you alone. Not the case, right? Again, playing into how intelligent Michael actually is. He, knows he doesn't even check the door. No, he doesn't, which is funny because I think in 2018, he does that to her. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I think if, you're right. Yeah, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get too crazy or down the rabbit hole. But yes, he does actually. It's a recall to this movie. He does it to her later. Anyway, nonetheless, mm-hmm. he knows where she's at. He finds her in the closet. She stabs him in the eye with the fucking uh, coat hanger, and then stabs him with the knife that he drops. In Rob Zombie's version, which I also love, is that they actually end up back at the. Um, Myers house where the whole thing started, right? So they're not at uh, Tommy Doyle's house. They're at the Myers house. We just have this fucking scene where Michael basically is, I think in, again, this is maybe my fucked up brain, but Michael's trying to explain to Lori who he Mm -hmm. is, right? So he's got Linda in front of the, um, uh, Judith Myers, uh, headstone. And then he basically he kneels down in front of Lori while Lori is holding um, Linda's head in front of his headstone. 
And he takes his mask off and he gives her the picture. So in my mind, he's saying, hey, this is who I am. You're my sister. Mm-hmm. That is supposed to portray our dead sister, Judith, that I killed. Here's who I am. But I think yeah. the scene is shot so well because we get a scene, a shot from uh, basically the backside of the wall. So we don't see Michael, which I really like because in 1978, you actually see Michael's face. In yeah. this version, you do not see his face. What you see is he took the mask off. He laid it down. You see his long hair. He's kneeling in front of Lori, and you see Lori's face. Mm-hmm. And he's at his most vulnerable state at that point, and you see Lori's face, and she's like, this fucking guy is crazy. I have to get the hell out of here. And she's like looking for ways to escape. But it's so beautiful because mm-hmm. – Michael is in his most vulnerable state. She is like trying to get out of here, but he thinks this is what I did all of this for. This is the resolve. Yeah. This is the answer. I've completed my task. And she grabs that fucking knife and she stabs him, right? Yeah. And this is 2007 version. And she runs out. She gets in the wall. It, it, eventually she ends up in the ceiling and it, you get to see Michael's rage because he beats the mm. fuck out of these walls. He beats the hell out of the ceiling. And you just get this scene that in my opinion is pure emotion that honestly, most people probably can't understand. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why I love zombies version versus Carpenter's version, which I get and kudos to Seth because he changed my mentality on this. But yeah, I get Lori got in the closet in 1978. She was hiding. That's a safe space. But in 2007, Rob Zombie's version, you get to see Michael's pure fury. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and like, I feel like he doesn't understand that like she was obviously adopted or was put into foster care or something like that. So she probably doesn't know everything that's happened in her past or in their family's past. Right. Cause like you said, he's got <clears throat> like, she, she doesn't even know that her last name's Myers originally, probably. So he's got the Myers tombstone. He's got the Jack lantern, which represents Halloween. So, and then he's got the picture. Like she probably has no idea that, this past life is even a part of her life. No, I I think you could tell on her face that she has no clue what's going on. And he is like in his most, like he thinks he's completed his task at that point. He's brought the family together and you can see, and and again, kudos to the actress who played Lori in 2007, scout Taylor Compton. She's just trying to survive. Yeah. Do you think, do you guys both, do you think if she understood what was going on and she like, I don't know, let's just say the story changed where instead of stabbing him, she hugged him and they reconciled or whatever. Do you think he would continue on doing what he was doing or do you think that would be the end of it? I think he would continue because like, he kills the people at the beginning of the movie whenever like she's there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I think he still would. I'm asking this question because if he continues killing, then it kind of debunks Josh's theory on his whole task in life is getting back to Lori. Now, Josh, I'm not disagreeing with your theory on that. I, I fully agree with it. 
But what do you think would happen if she understood what he was talking about? Okay, so I'm going to disagree with Brooke. I think if she embraces him as her brother, she understands what is going on, why he's doing what he did. I almost feel like, and again, we know that he had his his uh, issues as a kid, but when you see him on the step, when Deborah Myers pulls up, he's like basically protect my. And you guys, if you listen to our podcast, you know my theory on this. I think he's protecting her. So I think if yeah. she fully embraces him, he doesn't kill anymore. His goal, he broke out of this hospital to get back to her, to protect her, to make sure she was okay. So if she embraces him in that moment, this is a fucking horrible comparison, but I think you get what you saw in Texas Chainsaw 3D with Alexander Daddario where Leatherface basically is like her protector. Yeah. I think that's what Michael and again, this is a fucking tear. It's the best thing I can I can compare it to, right? <laughs> I think that's what Michael turns into. He's not there to hurt her. And even and since we're talking about it, he's not even there to hurt Loomis. He could have killed Loomis twice at this point. Yeah. And he doesn't. Yeah. But why is he killing all the people leading up to getting to her? That's the other thing that you have to to really think about because he kills her foster adopted parents, right? Yeah. So I think what that yeah. portrays is that while maybe Lori can, maybe she can't control him. I don't think that anybody can control him. He still has that rage aspect to him. So he's very multi- faceted to where there's not one answer for this question because I think that with any person that has these types of mental issues, let's take um, not necessarily schizophrenia, but let's take like bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Like some of those people don't know what they're doing. Like yeah. it's this one thing that triggers them and they're set on a whole different path. So is that Michael? I don't know. Is he schiz- I don't know what clinically. Like, I was going to bring that up. Um, because one of the first meetings be- between Loomis and Michael in the, the 2007 version is Loomis asks him, like, okay, what's your memory about that night? He's like, what, my costume? And he's like, yeah. no, like the yeah. people you killed. He's like, oh, I didn't do that. He's like, you don't remember anything. He's like, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. So maybe, like, there is a little part of him that thinks people are hurting Lori so he kills the family at the beginning, and then he finds this new family. Maybe he just assumes that this new family is hurting Lori again. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean. Yeah, it is. I, I don't think, I think that plays into the issues that doctors and people of that profession deal with now is that we don't fully understand. You'll never fully understand how those people, how those people's brains work, right? They don't work like like everybody else's brains and it's hard to really diagnose and even clinically fix the problems. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where Michael lies is that yes, he wants to reconnect with Lori, but does that necessarily mean that he's going to stop doing what he's doing? Probably not because that's what he gets off on. Yeah. I want to see a movie where Michael and Lori live together and he's (laughs) not killing anymore, but he still has those tendencies and like something pisses him off and he goes into that blind rage and then she kind of calms him down. Hmm. I want to see this movie. I'm trying to think of what movie that would be. 
Or like a Big Brother Haddonfield. Big Brother <laughs> Haddonfield, dude, that'd be great. I almost feel like that's what, okay, so again, bad, comp- I know a lot of people, I love this movie, I know a lot of people hate this movie, but Texas Chainsaw 3D with Alexander Daddario, I feel like if they made a sequel to that, that's what it would be. It'd be like Leatherface getting real pissed off. Yeah. And sexy yeah. ass Alexander Daddario being like, hey, hey, it's okay. It's yeah. all right. <laughs> just, just, just sit down. I'll make you some breakfast. Relax. I'll make you some <laughs> ribs. I know you like ribs. I saw the plate yeah. of ribs outside of your room. <laughs> that's where um, I feel like we'd be with that movie. Yeah. A couple points I had to Josh is um, the remake kind of answers like the gravestone question like you guys talked about in your Halloween episode. Like Michael picks up this gravestone. There's like no way he'd be able to carry that in 1978 version. Yeah. And the 2007 version, you kind of believe it because Michael's so much bigger. But it kind of answers that question like why did he take the gravestone at the end yeah. there? He like has it for Lori. <clears throat> and then a kind of a counterpoint when you said that you didn't understand why Lori hides the kids in 1978, I feel like that's a smarter decision because in the 2007 version, she takes the kids in the room with her. It's like you're putting those kids in danger. Like I think the Lord in 78 knows that Michael's not going to kill these two little fucking kids. Like he knows what he's after. He's not going to kill these nine and 10 year olds. I think the 07 version, she's just putting the kids in danger that they don't have to be in. Mm-hmm. See, the only reason I disagree with that is because in 1978, she really has no idea what he's after. And she, me, yeah, me, as, a, me as a parent, I'm like, I'm not going to put my two kids in this other room and then go hide in a separate room. I'm going to keep them with me because at bare bones minimum, if he does find us, I'm going to at least put up some sort of fight to protect these kids versus let's say he goes into the the room where the kids were at. Like, they're fucked. Yeah, yeah. When we find out, okay, even in 2007, like, he does try to come in that room and he kills the two police officers and he can still get through the door. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. like, for me, just thinking as a parent, like, I'm, I'm not separating mm-hmm. myself from the kids. Yeah. And I like how Michael breaks through like the wooden front door and then Lori goes into the bathroom with like the glass door. It's right. Like, oh, yeah, this won't hold him at all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I did huh? like in uh sorry, the remake, whenever Lori's hiding in like the walls, how Michael like he kind of pretends that he doesn't know she's there when clearly he does know she's there. Right. And then she, like, is one step ahead of him. She knows that he knows, so she moves out of the way. And Yeah. Well, that's what I love about that scene is you see that she's hiding in the walls of this house, and he likely knows where she's at. Yeah. But you hear this ambiguous noise. You don't know what it is. In my opinion, it's Loomis because he wasn't dead yet. He made this noise to help distract Michael, which gives Lori mm. the split second ability to get out of the wall before Michael goes right back to where he knew she was at. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I also wonder if again, in my opinion, he's not trying to hurt Lori. No. So is he moving away from that 
did he know at that instance that she was out of that wall? I again, we'll never know. I don't know. Unless we get Rob yeah. Zombie on here right now, I don't know. We'll ever find out. <laughs> but nonetheless, hashtag at Rob Zombie. Hey, come on the podcast. But nonetheless, I mean, like we'll never know. But in my opinion, I feel like Michael at no point was actually trying to hurt Lori. If anything, he does more to, with the exception of pounding that fucking board through the ceiling. Um, he does more to injure himself to protect her than he does to actually hurt her. Yeah. I One thing I didn't like about that scene in the remake is he's pounding through this ceiling and she's up there and she doesn't fall through the ceiling until she gets into that room and like there's no holes in that ceiling. So like you would think she would fall through as he's pounding through it with yeah. this fucking two by four. Right. Yeah. And like Michael's hitting every spot around here, except he doesn't go back to the one spot he hasn't hit yet. <laughs> yeah. And I think that plays into the fact, like Brooke, you mentioned, like he knows where she is, yeah. but like, I think he's just trying to scare her out of there rather than actually try and hit her. Yeah. And she gets fucked up too. When she falls and smashes her face off the floor, like she's pretty bloodied up. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think we talk about, we do talk about in the podcast is that, like, you don't fully realize how messed up physically she is until you see the beginning of Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Yeah. 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 Have we talked about which ending we like better? I think we started with that question. (laughs) (laughs) It was probably my fault. I'm sorry. So without going down a rabbit hole, which ending do you guys like better? I like the 07, except for Loomis getting like shot. But uh, yeah, I think 07, the remake. Okay. I like them both individually to their respective movies because, again, I think I said this as soon as we started. I feel like... 1978 is a Michael Myers Dr. Loomis movie whereas 2007 is a Laurie Strode Michael Myers movie so I think it's fitting that in 2007 Laurie Strode is the one that wakes up on top of Michael has the gun shoots him I think it's fitting in 1978 that Loomis comes to Laurie's aid shoots him six times he falls off the balcony and he is gone you don't see him he's disappeared that's the yeah. whole purpose of that movie in 1978 is that this person is in the shadows. He's lurking. They're always there. You should not feel safe even in suburbia, right? Yeah. Versus 2007 yeah. where it's, this is a Michael Laurie movie. And for me, it would have been diminishing to Laurie's character if Loomis had killed Michael versus Laurie. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's uh probably a perfect response for that question you're welcome you're here all day whatever well, dude i'll come on the <laughs> a a fucking podcast on elm street anytime <laughs> now that fucking podcast on elm street i'm not going on that show okay deal uh brooke what do you think already answered oh yeah <laughs> what do i think <laughs> how many of those pumpkin pie beers have you drank man oh, yeah really i've only had one of those but i'm on five. Oh, oh man um i apologize uh yeah i agree well 
I don't know. I agreed with Brooke at first. I like the remake better. But I don't know, Josh, you bring up a good point too. Whereas the ending of each movie is perfect for the movie as a whole. So it's hard to determine which one I like better. I think I prefer watching the remake better. Like the ending of the remake better. Yeah. But but I mean both of them are are solid endings for what the movies are as a whole. So I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. Well, you asked it, but I think you you have to you have to look at the movie and, and what it is, right? Because again, yeah, this has been my theme through the whole podcast: is you have to separate them. You can if you look at them as a whole, like one and one, you're either gonna like zombies or you're gonna like carpenters. You're not gonna like them both. Yeah, Whereas, exactly. Would, I don't want to jump into the ratings, but never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> I think we've beat the. I think we're we're done talking about the movie as a whole, eh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> we're kind of just backtracking. Um, so we might as well hop into these fucking ratings. Let's do it. And Brooke's got to get up early, so we should true. start moving <laughs> moving towards the end of this. <laughs> Sorry. this my, Again, it's my fault, guys. I can hijack a podcast real quick. Well, it's our fucking fault, too, for having all these technical difficulties at the start. I know. Fuck. We started like 45 minutes late. I forgive you. Thank you. Um, all right, Josh, what do you rate the story and quality of the original? All right, let me find my... Uh, I, I printed all this off just so you guys are aware. All right, story and quality of 1978. And I drove Mark fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, would you define story and quality for me, please? So just so I know, these are two separate ratings, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Story. 1978, I give a 9.5 out of 10 rating. Okay. 95%. That's higher than I expected. Okay. What's your reasoning? Again, I think you. this is not a bad movie if you put yourself in the position of a viewer of 1978. It's actually quite a great movie um, in the fact of the issues that it tackles based on that era that it came out. I think the biggest mistake people make, and I've said this 10 times, is that you compare Carpenter's versus Zombie's version of this movie. They're two separate. They couldn't be any more different stylistically, aesthetically anything they bring to the table and i think that if i were a person of my same age in 1978 when this movie came out i would have loved this movie and i think it's terrifying for people it was terrifying i know for a fact people have told me that when they saw it it was terrifying so i think yeah you can't diminish that looking at it in 2020 when it came out in 1978 mm-hmm. you have to you know take those resources you may or may not have and, and look at it from that aspect. I think it was probably a great movie back then. And do I like it more than 2007? No, but it was, it's, that doesn't take away that it was a great movie then. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. What about the quality? Uh, quality. I give it a nine out of 10. Okay. I think um, the writing could have been better. I, well, I think they did an okay job with what they had. Jamie Lee Curtis was, um, 
first time actress. I think she did great for what she had, but at the same time, I think um, for the hype this movie gets, um, even putting myself in 1978 with <clears throat> with those actors, um, I think that it's it's a nine out. So still, that's not a bad rating, but ninety percent. No, definitely not. All right, Brooke, cool. what about you? All right, so for my story, I gave a six out of ten. Now I'm not. I'm a 2020 guess, movie critic, if you can say that. <laughs> Watching it, you know, I'm not gonna put my my feet in you know like jimmy carter's shoes back in 1978 or whatever you know like when i watch a movie i don't want to think like oh i should think how they felt back in the day like yeah those are great points josh and like i appreciate that but when i'm watching a movie like with a critic's eye like i'm not thinking like oh what are they thinking back in the day it's like i do have to kind of deduct points for like the story and stuff like that. I think there's like a lot of plot holes, especially when you compare it to the 07 one. Like it just doesn't do it justice in the story department. Um, and then for quality, I gave it nine out of 10 all time slasher flick. Uh, the acting is pretty good. Like uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis does a great job. I thought Loomis did a pretty good job. Like, like we said, he comes from like the stage acting shit. So um, and then the score is just legendary. Like we didn't even mention that. Like just mm-hmm. one of the all-time most iconic music scores in in movie history, not just horror movie history. So six out of ten and nine out of ten. Good. All right. For my story, I'm kind of in between you guys. I gave it an eight out of ten. Um. I didn't necessarily put myself in the shoes of a person back in 1978 watching this movie for the first time, but I understand the impact it's had on uh, movies moving forward. And it's not by any means a perfect movie, but I think for its time, it's pretty perfect in, in horror standards. Um, I think back then you couldn't get much better than, than what we have with this movie. Uh, it was original for its time. Um, we never really saw a slasher with this kind of idea to it. Like we talked about before, we really only had, um, black Christmas and the Texas chainsaw massacre. And neither one of them had, I guess the, like the background substance that this one had. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. Josh, did you just get your wife to bring you a beer? Two of them, yep. She said, awesome. I'm in bed. I said, can you bring me one beer? And she brought two. Wow, she's a keeper. She is. She's the best. <laughs> she's the best. I can't. I, I could not ask for a better wife. If I text my wife right now and ask her to bring me a beer, she would kill me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. And the quality for the original, I also gave an 8 out of 10. Um, Brooke... I wasn't sure if you were going to bring up the score, but I was going to say there's no way I'm the only person that's going to bring this up. That mm-hmm. score is so fucking iconic, and John Carpenter did it his like on his own, and it's so like simplistic but so iconic at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm not I, like I listen to music, but I don't understand like the technicality of music. But it's it just seems yeah. like such a simple tune 
yeah. that like anybody could really do it, but it fit in perfectly with what he was going for. Um, I've already kind of talked about how I don't like Jamie Lee Curtis that much, but at yeah, at the same time, Josh, you brought up that she's a, like this is her first acting role, so I kind of have to give her credit for what she was able to do with this movie. Um, but yeah, like the atmosphere was super creepy. Like it, like the second half of the movie, I guess, like it gets so dark, and the whole tone just changes in the whole movie. Um, so yeah, I gave story eight out of ten, quality eight out of ten. Man, I was high in comparison on both. <laughs> you were. Full disclosure, what I tried to do was take my uh, HMC Stabby's rating and uh, convert it back to a, a 10 rating instead of a 5 because, you know, we do 5s. So, yeah, that's where I was at with it. It's all right. It's your own rating. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, what do you rank the remake? I mean, you guys know what I rated this shit on our episode. So, Store, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I don't know how Rob Zombie could have done any better with this fucking movie. I get it. The rape scene is a lot. It's hard to watch. It's uncomfortable. It's it's nasty. Like, But when you listen to him talk about it, he kind of justifies it. Not that he justifies rape, but the scene uh-huh. itself so story i'm going 10 out of 10 i don't know how you get any better than that fucking story quality 10 out of 10 i don't know how you get any better okay <laughs> he took you guys want to talk about the score great john carpenter's score is great it's in 5-4 timing it's creepy i understand that he wrote it all himself but rob zombie takes it puts the track behind it makes it even better Everything about Rob Zombie's version is better than John Carpenter's version. I'm sorry. I was born in 1987. I prefer Rob Zombie's version better for 2007. Deal with it. <laughs> I'm you... done. I'm fucking done defending <laughs> this fucking movie. If you gave it any less than a 10 out of 10, I was going to call your ass out. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because I heard your episode. I knew you rated it there. Ah, and it was, you your get... first, it was your first ever five stabbies. It was. I broke. I think Jessica said I broke my, I popped my five cherry. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. And that means a lot because I gave Scream a 4.9 on a re-rate and I fucking love Scream. But after watching, I watched Rob Zombie's Halloween for our episode. Then I watched it again, not taking notes. You guys can probably attest to this. When we watch these movies for these episodes, it's not fun to watch. No. No, we yeah. take notes. We like dig into everything. So I watched it again, and I was like, I don't know how the fuck this movie could be any better. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brooke, what do you got it at? All right, so for my story, I gave it 8 out of 10. Uh, like We've talked about it so much during this whole episode, but this, the story is so much better than the 78 version things make sense um the only kind of grip i have was like the ending was kind of confusing like how michael knew that was laurie which we talked about already so um eight out of ten for quality given nine out of ten uh great fucking horror movie like like we've said multiple times i don't know how people hate this movie like it just really is fantastic um yeah, the acting's great. The gore and the kills are great. Just all around a great, 
uh, horror movie. Mm-hmm. All right. I gave the story a 10 out of 10. Josh, I'm with you. I don't see how Rob Zombie could have made that this any better. People shit on the fact that he gave the backstory. And I think it's much needed to this franchise. We need to know why Michael is like this. There's been however many fucking movies in this franchise and nobody's really shown what he went through as a child. Nobody's shown the, the steps that it took to get him to where he was in like as an adult, why he's killing all these people. And Rob Zombie took that risk and took that challenge. And I think he fucking like flew with it. Like he did a great job at showing the retaliation in Michael as a kid and how it would have been interpreted into adulthood. The quality, I gave it a nine out of 10. Um, I can't quite give it a 10 out of 10. I don't think this movie's perfect by any means, but it is like, it's great. It's a fucking fantastic movie. It's one of the best remakes ever, ever made in my opinion. Um, the acting throughout it is great. I'm not as big of a fan of the score as you are, Josh. Mm. Like I, I like the rock. Like he puts more like a rock spin on everything. Like he's fucking Rob Zombie. He's a rock legend. Right. But I don't find it as creepy or scary as Carpenter's original score was. Um, I like this Laurie better than I like Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie. Um, I feel like everything that was wrong with the original Rob Zombie kind of changed it and made it a little bit better. So that's why I gave the quality of this one a little bit of a higher score than the quality of the original. I love both movies though. And I could watch both movies countless times and not get sick of them. That's all I got. That's fair. The only thing I will say, and I'm always defending this movie, about the score, Carpenter's Halloween relied on the score to get you to jump during yes. certain scenes. At the beginning, the eat, right? When he looks yeah. up at the window, the light shuts off. It's the scores, high-pitched synth. I don't feel like Rob Zombie had to do that in his version with his score. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it was creepy. He did the sort of the same things with the synth. and well, Not really the synth, but with the loud... Uh, score, but it was because his version was that much creepier. He didn't rely on the score to scare you. It was the aspect of what was going on on screen that really did traumatize everybody. But that's just me. I'm biased. Yo, I'm going to take a page from your own book. Movies back then relied on the score to make things even more scary. Fuck. Did you take that right out of me? I did. <laughs> Pulled it right out of you. <laughs> I can't even get mad. <laughs> all right you guys know what we scored it let's head on over to rotten tomatoes and see what those motherfuckers have scored this the original now josh you've already done both of these movies so i can't even ask you to guess i mean i'll pretend are. like i don't know if you want but i know what they are i know you're <laughs> lying um so brooke i'll get you to just guess the critic scores and i'll say the audience scores like how we normally do all right so the original uh, critics consensus scary suspenseful and viscerally thrilling halloween set the standard for modern horror films so brooke what do you think those critics scored it 
The thing is, I think a lot of people have watched this movie, so there's probably a ton of reviews. I'd say like a 88. For the critics? Yeah. No, the critics gave it a 96%. All right. And there were 72 ratings. Now you're close to the audience score. They give it an 89% on 303,000 ratings. So you guys, and again, you probably do, but so I always make a point of saying this during our podcast is that the critics score is the percentage of people that rated it over a certain amount, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not actually a compiled average. Like what we do on the HMC is we give a, hey, the HMC average, this was a 4.4 stabbies out of five. What they do is, hey, if Josh, Mark, and Brooke rated this over 85%, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 100% score. Is that how it is? That's how that works. So the audience, which is more impactful for me, the audience yeah. score is an actual average of users' rating. So we could all three go on there and rate the movie, and yeah. that's what that score is based on our actual rating. The critics okay. score on Rotten Tomato, which is a bunch of fucking bullshit, is <laughs> if they look at me, I'm defending this fucking movie again, is the amount of critics, the percentage of critics that rated it over a certain percentage. That's how that okay. works. Just, huh. you know. Did okay. not know that. Sorry, I'm done. Good. All right. For the remake, the snobs or the consensus. Rob Zombie doesn't bring oh, this fucking thing drives me crazy. And I'm gonna fucking rage about it in a minute. Rob Zombie doesn't bring many new ideas to the table in Halloween, making it another bloody disappointment for fans of the franchise. Before we hop into the ratings, how the fuck do they figure that he doesn't bring any new ideas to the movie? Yeah, that's insane. They're idiots. <laughs> to put it lightly. It's probably the same person that gave the uh, Reverend like a really high score. With Leo? Yeah, fuck that movie. He won a fucking Oscar for that movie. That was a fucking pity Oscar, let's be honest. <laughs> it was. It was. He yeah. should have won a fucking Oscar for Wolf of Wall Street. That fucking yeah. movie doesn't get any better his performance in wolf of wall street was legendary he got boned out of it and they're like oh hey he made another movie let's just throw him let's yeah fucking tom hardy was better than him in the revenant agreed (laughs) and for the record mark i'm a little fucking mad okay okay you didn't give the hmc average stabbies rating for 1978 so i'll give it we gave it a 4.4 out of five all right you're not on HMC, motherfucker. But our average stabby rating should be what people go to look for in a horror movie. Oh, okay. I'm just, Disregard. I'm just saying. <laughs> you gave the platform a zero. It is that not the movie worst movie ever made. Sucked. It wasn't great, but it's not the worst movie ever made. You gave Killer Condoms a better rating than the platform. <laughs> it was better than the platform. The platform's fucking. Terrible, and the it's HMC a as a whole did not give the platform a zero. There was an average. No, I know, rate. but you did specifically okay. because it was horrible. <laughs> There's no way it was worse than a movie about a killer condom. Yes, it was. Have you watched either of them? I've watched the platform. Did you watch Killer Condom? No, I have not. Okay. <laughs> the platform was not a zero. Anyways, Brooke, what do you think the critics scored the remake? Uh, critics. I hate to do this, but I'm going to say a 42%. 
Oh, buddy, you're not even close. They gave it a 27%. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) On 118 ratings. The audience, the audience scored this 59% on 361,000 ratings. Thank God. What do you mean, thank God? That's way too fucking low. It's better than the fucking 27% (laughs) the idiot critics gave it. It is, but it's still a green splat. Well, it's not great. But again, if you're going to Rotten Tomatoes to fucking find out if you're going to like a movie or not. <laughs> yeah. Eh. Just watch watch the movie for yourselves, people. Don't listen to critics. Go to HMC and download our platform episode. There and you you'll know what a bad movie is. Let's go to the Killer Condom episode. Mark's ready to fucking cut me right now. He's like, fuck this guy. <laughs> Why do we even have him on here? All right, you guys ready for the scare section? For the record, the HMC yeah. gave uh, 2007 oh, a, f- yes. a, f- a 4.7 average stabbies rating out of five. It's tied for first place right now, just so everybody's aware. So you, guys, you guys as a whole gave it a better score than the original. <sighs> it's because it's a better movie. I know, I'm just saying. Okay. And for the record, I love you. I love you too. All right, scare section. Uh, Brooke, you want to go first? Sure. For the original. So for 1978, I gave it a 4 out of 10. Uh, Not that scary at all, but I'll get into the reasons why it's scary and my scariest scene. Okay. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah. All right. So my scariest scene, I actually picked whenever Michael first starts stalking Lori especially with this scene whenever he's hiding behind the bushes and then Annie sees or Lori sees Michael and she's like, Oh, there's someone standing there. And then Michael like is just gone. It's kind of like a more real life situation. Like of people like stalking each other, like that shit actually happens. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'd survive, I put, if I was Lori, probably not. But if I was any other character, I think I would. Because Michael doesn't really seem that menacing in this one, like I said. I think I could stay away from him or just survive myself. Okay. Fair enough. All right, Josh, you want to go through these questions for the original? Yes. Uh, so I got scare section. I wasn't fully prepared, but I think I'm glad I didn't have to go first. I think I can. I can. Uh, wing it here um again i'm bad about this i put myself in a person in 1978 sitting in the movie theater watching this (laughs) i gotta give the first one a nine out of ten i'm sorry i understand that right now in 2020 it's not that scary but i think that the elements this movie brings to the table that those people were thinking about in 1978 the fact that my grandpa told me that people had to walk down the middle of the road Mm -hmm. this movie was fucking scary for me personally, the scene that scared me the most, I don't think any of them were jump scary. They were, it wasn't a jump scare heavy movie. Um, the gore wasn't that scary. Again, I don't think you need that for 1978, but the scene that stuck with me is that very last scene. So he's been stabbed with a knitting needle. He's been stabbed with a knife. He's been shot six times. He falls off the balcony. Loomis goes to look for him, and he's gone. To mm-hmm. me, that's the scariest scene because what they do after that is you see – all of the um, 
scenes, all of the um, instances where Michael has reigned terror on this little town. You see all of the rooms, all of the houses that he did, and then you hear him breathing in the background. Basically, it's saying, hey, evil's out there. Evil's still lurking, and nobody's safe. Despite what you do, evil's still out there. So that's the scene that stuck with me the most, and I think it's mm-hmm. probably the scariest out of the 1978 version. Cool. And would you survive the 1978 version? Oh, for sure. I would stay the fuck away from Laurie Strode. <laughs> Case closed. Case We're not friends anymore. Closed. I'd be like, Laurie, you go carve jack-o'-lanterns with Tommy. I'm out. <laughs> All right. For my scare rating for the original, I gave it a 6 out of 10. I said the score in this movie... Uh, add such a creepy factor to the film. Like if you picture this film without that score, it's like not nearly as scary. So I feel like Carpenter added this in perfectly. Um, I love Michael's mask. I mean, you don't, you never really saw something like this before. It's like, it's terrifying, but it's so simplistic at the same time. Um, I like that Carpenter made Michael just be like a regular ass person. Um, He didn't, give him like any extra qualities other than the fact that he's crazy. Uh, there's some good jump scares here and there and the dark tones like towards the ending of the movie really added to the whole scare factor to it. <clears throat> uh, the scariest scene, I said Laurie in the closet, even though Michael seems like he's kind of a pussy during the scene. Um, <laughs> it's just like the fact of being trapped in a small enclosure, like how I'm picturing, I'm putting myself in her shoes. Like, picturing how she's going to try and get out of this situation and the only thing that she has to defend herself is a fucking coat hanger (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i feel like that like that's pretty terrifying and would i survive i said yes because i would not be sticking around haddonfield any longer and that's it so i guess i'll go with the scare section of the remake from 07 so I gave it a 6 out of 10 on the scare rating. Um, pretty much took everything from the first one and kind of upped it with the goriness. And Michael was just way more scary and menacing, like I've said. Um, yeah. And for scariest scene, I put whenever Michael escapes from the hospital um, and he just like picks up that fucking TV and just smashes... <laughs> Trejo with it. Right. Um, was it any different, like, the killing in the unrated version, or was it just that one scene that they added in? Um, if I remember correctly, and, and I watched the um, unrated version for this film, I actually fucked up and watched the theatrical version for the um, Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which I think actually made for a better conversation. But nonetheless, um, I think the only major difference between the unrated and the uh, theatrical for Halloween was that escape scene. And I think that might be it. With with a few additions here and there. But for the most part, that was really it. Yeah. All right. And then uh, would I survive? I put no, I would not survive. Um, this Michael is just way more terrifying and insane and scary, so I, I don't think I would. All right. Am I up? You're yep. up, bud. 
I think uh, for scare section, I'm going to. You guys are going to fucking kill me. Your viewers are going to hate me. They're gonna be like, don't ever have that fucking <laughs> horror movie crew guy on again. Uh, I got to go 10 out of 10 again. Jesus. I don't know how this movie gets any better. So when you look at it from a stand, a slight psychological standpoint, it's fucking absolutely terrifying because this is a person that could exist today. It's shit that happens now. We see it. It's in the news. It's on social media. It's all over the place. People have these sort of mental illnesses that are untreated, and these things happen. Then you look at it from the standpoint of him as an adult where he's six feet, eight inches tall, He's fucking huge, and how do you get away from that? He's that scene where Lori's in the wall; she's in the ceiling. It's like she's done. Like what? Yeah. Look at what he's doing. He's this brute force. Prior to that, I or at some point, Loomis shoots him three different times. Mm-hmm. It's like this guy's unstoppable. So I don't know. To me, that's absolutely terrifying. And I think when you add the mental illness aspect to it, for me, that might be more terrifying because we've seen what you know in the, over the last four or five years, we've seen what people with those mental issues that are mental health issues that are not um, addressed. Maybe they were addressed. I don't know. But nonetheless, you see what happens from school shootings to concert shootings to bombings mm. to. Yeah, it's that absolutely terrifies me. And as a as a father with two little girls that I have to send to school next year, hopefully when this Corona shit's all gone, like I I don't know how people do it. It, it absolutely terrifies me. So ten out of ten. Would I survive? Yes, I'd get the fuck away from Lori Strode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for my remake, I gave it a seven out of ten. I said, uh, like, basically, it has all the elements of the first one. Like, the score is still good, but it's not as good. Um, I found Michael's mask in this one was scarier than the original one because it's, like, so weathered and worn and just, like, it's beat up. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tyler Maine is a much more terrifying Michael Myers than Nick Castle was. Uh, I like the fact that he broke out of that slow and somber stature and like you see him fucking run at one point whenever he's trying to stop Lori from shooting him he walks faster than the original michael did which makes him more scary in my opinion because you feel like you have less time to get away like in the original you like you feel like the the other characters have like five minutes to fucking run away from this guy whereas yeah. in this one he gets to you a lot faster. Um, Josh, I'm going to piggyback off what you said. Having the whole backstory to this just adds a whole new element to the movie and a whole new element to the horror of Michael Myers. Um, And Rob Zombie did it perfectly. Like, I feel like it's such a touchy subject with such an iconic movie. And for him to have the balls to do this with it and actually do it well, um, like he can't do anything but applaud the guy for making this movie the way that it is and fuck everybody that disagrees when I think I said this on our podcast is that I almost wonder if he had called it something else like maybe he yeah. didn't call it Halloween 
Because let's be honest, at this point in t- 2020, we have three movies with the title Halloween, right? The 78 mm-hmm. version, the 07 version, now the 18 version. Like mm-hmm. maybe if he called it, fuck, I don't know. I'm not that smart. But like if he called it Laurie Strode or Michael Myers or just Myers maybe, I don't know. Maybe yeah. it wouldn't have been so, dis- I don't know. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. Uh, my scariest scene for the remake is probably whenever he killed the bully in the woods, like as whenever he's still a kid. Mm-hmm. Just uh, the way that it was shot, everything was so well done. Josh, you talked about how... Uh, fuck, my computer's going to die. You talked about how you don't really see what's actually happening, but you see enough of it to know what's going on. Um, and yeah, just the way that everything's done in that scene is just terrifying. And would I survive? I gave the same answer. Yes, I would not be sticking around Haddonfield long enough for (laughs) him to come after me. (laughs) But as we saw in H2O, you could fucking jet it to California and Michael still find you. So fuck, dude. I don't know. That's true. I don't fucking know. All right, let's blast through this fucking villain face off so Brooke can go to bed. He's got to wake up in the morning. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Josh, do you understand the villain face-off? You got th- everything all right? I think so, but you know I'm not very smart, and I probably asked you 500 questions. Um, but I think I've I know what I'm supposed to do. So yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Does that so mean you're going to list- make me go first? No, no. <laughs> so for the listeners that maybe don't know, uh, every once in a while, Brooke and I will do a villain face-off where we put uh, two different characters together in sort of a uh, D&D matchup, Dungeons and Dragons matchup, where we talk about which one we think would win in a fight. Um, we take the stats of strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, and rank them from 1 to 30 for each character. So with that being said, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go first for this one. Wow. Seems like. Wow. Yeah. Well, right. You guys have gone first for everything else. Fuck. I never, you guys listen, I never go first. Good for you. I'm just saying, I respect my co-hosts enough to, I hope that one of them talk me out of a bad rating is what I hope for, honestly. (laughs) You know, amongst us friends, that's what I hope for. Well, you didn't want to go first for this, so I'm doing you a favor. That's true. Can I ask a question real quick? Yes. What's the highest rated villain you have out of, because you have a possible 180 points, right? Yeah, but we average it out. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. Probably, I don't know. I want to say Predator. Yeah, he'd probably be a good one. Hmm. Yeah, because okay. I think he, he would have got higher than the Creeper, I think. Yeah, because this is the first like big movie villain we've done. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So for the original Michael, I gave his strength a 25. Um, 
not quite like superhuman strength, but he's obviously strong enough to lift people up like by their necks and shit. Uh, he mm-hmm. stabbed a knife through a guy's chest and slammed him into a wall. So obviously he's got some pretty high quality strength. Um, <clears throat> dexterity. I give him a 16 out of 30. Uh, there's nothing like he's not an overly good fighter or anything like that. So I can't really say that he's that agile. Um, he can hold his own, but I, he uses the element of surprise a lot of the time, and he fights women who are much smaller than him <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> so he loses some big points there. Uh, constitution, I give him a 19. So that is basically like endurance. Um, he, I don't know, he walks everywhere, so he's got to have something. He's got to have like a fairly high rating for that. Um, but again, he doesn't really do anything that shows high stamina besides the walking, and he walks fucking everywhere. But uh, yeah, intelligence, I gave him a 15 um, because of the fact that he doesn't necessarily know who Lori is because in the original movie, he she's not actually who she was written into the rest of the story. Um, she's just kind of a person who's there and he tracks her, doesn't even track her down. He just finds her and has that flashback, I guess, sequence to whenever he was a kid. Um, but I mean, I don't think he's dumb by any stretch of the imagination. He, he's savvy enough to, to get around and to trick people into certain things. Um, wisdom, I give him a 16, which kind of coincides with what I was saying with the intelligence. And charisma, I gave him a 10. Um, I feel like if you saw Michael without the mask, he like he would be less menacing, obviously. So I feel like I can't give his charisma like too, too low of a score. I feel like the mask is what really takes away from that quality for him. Um, but again, he—I mean—he's a silent, silent guy. So there's nothing really that adds to it either. But yeah, great job! I mean, you did an excellent job. I'm very impressed with that, what you did there, Mark. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Josh. You're going next. All right. Well, hang on. Well, I'll wait. I'll wait. All right. 1978. I think I got a good grasp what I'm doing here. So correct me if I'm wrong. But physical power. I went with a 25 out of 30, okay? I said um, the sheer ability to lift a grown-ass man up with a butcher knife speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, Dexterity, measuring agility. I actually gave him a 15 out of 30. I think you gave him a 16 out of 30, so we were on the same page there. Cool. Constitution, measuring endurance. I went 30 out of 30, okay? So hear hear me out. He got stabbed with a knitting needle. He got stabbed in the eye with a coat hanger. Lori stabbed him with a knife, and then the homie got shot six times and fell off a balcony. (laughs) What more could he endure? That's fair enough. And he got up and walked away. (laughs) Other than 50 Cent being shot nine times, I don't know what more he could have done. I got to give him a 30 out of 30 for that. I'm sorry. That's fair. Intelligence. I went 20 out of 30. 
We don't know his reasons for killing the babysitters. We kind of know from the beginning, maybe he's got like a thing. He don't like babysitters. But he does break out of a hospital. He drives all the way to Haddonfield with absolutely no prior experience to driving a car, right? Let's be honest. He outsmarts most of the characters in this movie, including Annie with the car scene, Bob with the sheet scene, Linda with the sheet scene, and Lori for most of the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd say, waiting all those years, he has a fucking very good memory and knew what he was up to. I got to give him a 20 out of 30. Wisdom, I went 25 out of 30. Again, hear me out. He outsmarted most of these characters in this movie by either listening to their conversations via telephone or in person. He was able to tell where people were at, where they were going, and he used that to his advantage later in the movie. So I gave him a 25 out of 30 for wisdom. All right. Charisma. Here's where he's gonna he's gonna plumb it right here, boys. I gave him a zero out of thirty oh. for charisma. <laughs> Michael, I'm gonna give him a one. Michael has zero charisma in this movie. Okay, yeah. absolutely fucking none. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Nice. All right. So for Halloween '78. For strength, I give a 24 out of 30. Um, you guys have made all these points already. Stabbed a guy, you know, two feet up in the air, held him there. He took a bunch of, you know, gunshots and all that stuff. Still doesn't give a fuck, whatever. Uh, Dexterity gave it 18 out of 30. Um, I thought he moved, like, in and out of hiding, like, from the bushes very, like, quickly. And, like, no one noticed he was there. Uh, Constitution, I gave a 28 out of 30. I mean, the guy is never tires out even after taking coat hangers to the eye and bullets and just could keep going. For intelligence, I gave a 14 out of 30. Uh, like Josh says, you don't really get his reasons for doing anything at all. Uh, for wisdom, I gave a 19 out of 30. Um, he can kill easily and he knows how to drive a car. And like Josh said, like he remembered how to drive 85 miles to Haddonfield. It's like, no. <laughs> and then for charisma, I give it one out of 30 as well. Like just no charisma at all. Like even if you take the mask off, I feel like you're still not going to get anything from him. Well, he took the mask off when he got stabbed in the eye and then he put oh, it right back true. on. Yeah. Right back on. Yeah. That's fair. All right, just let me tally up these. Tally them up. Wait, so we you average all of ours or you average each individual? All of ours. Oh, interesting. Time to do the remake. Do it. For, for strength, I gave Tyler Maine a 29 out of 30. Hmm. This guy is a fucking absolute animal. He's huge. He can't get much stronger than what he is. And I feel like he shows like superhuman strength with what he does more so than what the Nick Castle or the original Michael Myers showed. Um, Dexterity, I gave him a 24. Um, 
he's a way better fighter than the original one was. Like he takes on multiple characters at one time. Uh, he's able to put up more of a fight than what the original Michael did. Uh, so that's why I ranked him that high. Constitution, I gave him a 28. Uh, in this one, you see him, like I said before, like he, he walks faster. He actually runs at one point. Um, he takes a shit kicking in this one too. Uh, so I feel like he deserves a higher score than than the original. Um, intelligence, I gave him a 25. This is where I was getting confused with my original one. Uh, he <laughs> was able to link Lori to Boo and his younger sister from uh, whenever he was a kid. And like she was just a baby at that point. So, I mean, I feel like it really took some intelligence for him to figure that out. Uh, Wisdom, I gave him a 26. Um, A lot of all the same reasons before. You guys talked about how in the original, Michael was able to drive. Well, he's able to do that in this one as well. So he adds points to that. And Charisma, I gave him a 13 for this one. Still not very charismatic, but more so than the original. Um, Mainly due to the fact that he has that sense of trying to help Lori and protect Lori and he tries to show her who he is and who she is towards the end of the movie. Now he fails at it, but he did it in the way that he felt was best. Um, best for him to show it. All right. Very nice. Thank you, Josh. Oh, I'm next. Oh boy. Shoot. All right. In normal HMC fashion, boys, here we go. For the 2007 Rob Zombie's Michael Myers. 30s across the board. <laughs> we got to crack the can, boys. Here we go. You ready for this Miller Lite special? Let's go. Strength. I gave him a 30 out of 30. Michael portrays speech. extreme strength multiple times throughout the movie. Crushes heads in the hospital. He grabs a guy's head with one hand, smashes it against a wall. He fights Joe Grizzly in the bathroom. Absolutely mm-hmm. no fight back from Joe Grizzly. Joe Grizzly takes it like a little bitch. He carries a fucking headstone <laughs> from the cemetery to the Myers house. In stealth, nobody even sees him. Oh, my God. He beats the walls and ceiling with a two-by-four for minutes, menacing Lori Strode. He gets shot by Loomis three times, and he falls off a balcony and still lives, all while protecting his little sister. Give him 30. <laughs> <laughs> dexterity here's where you and i disagree mark i gave him a 22 out of 30 michael shows that he is a much quicker in this movie than previous versions even showing a brief sprint at the end i gave him a 22 i don't think he deserves a 24 on that i'm sorry you were a little biased all right fine we gave the exact same reasonings but it, we'll go with it constitution measuring endurance i gave michael 2007, Rob Zombie, 30 out of 30. As a kid, Michael has a horrendous childhood, but he survives. Could most people survive that shit? I don't think so, but he does. He's stabbed by Lori, he's shot by Loomis, and he falls off the balcony, all while turning in midair to save his little sister. 30 out of 30, Constitution. I think he shows a lot of endurance there. I don't know about you guys. That's where I'm at, 30 out of 30. Mm -hmm. Intelligence. Are you ready for this? 
25 out of 30. We agreed. Whoa. All right. With, with the backstory of Michael, we have a better understanding of his ability and his understanding of a situation, his problem solving, albeit a little violent, probably not how I would handle solving problems, <laughs> but he still solves them. He also doesn't kill Deborah. He doesn't kill Boo, right? Yeah. All right. His memory is great. As we see revealing with the Lori scene, he remembered all these years. That's my sister. That's my boo. I have to protect her. 25 out of 30. Wisdom. You were you went above on this. I went 25 out of 30. You went 26 out of 30. All right. He was able to determine where Lori was at for most of the movie. He was able to determine who her family was, right? Michael's able to outsmart Loomis for most of the movie. Loomis makes multiple references to Michael's Michael not being dumb and that he is very observant and not to take his silence as him not knowing what's going on. He's always paying attention and always in tune with his surroundings. 25 out of 30 for wisdom. Finally, this is where we disagree the most, Mark. Charisma. Young Michael has a large personality. We get to see it in full force. We still see glimpses of that personality as an adult. We see that he is very motivated by reconnecting with Lori in this movie to the point that he reveals himself to her and he lays the knife down, takes off the mask, and shows her who he is. 20 out of 30. You're so dramatic. I like it. (laughs) I want 2007's Rob Zombie, Michael Myers, to be the highest rated villain face-off contender of all time. <laughs> That's what I want because he is. All right. <coughs> Maybe all right. I'll uh, hurt that. Maybe I'll put all those scores for mine. Hang on, let me pause you real quick. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so for my strength, I gave a 30 out of 30. I just put he's the Incredible Hulk. Nice. Can take anything. He does flip a car in Halloween too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, dexterity, I put a twenty out of thirty. Um, his size is deceiving because he seems like he's going to be slower than the seventy-eight Michael, but in fact, he does more. Like he sprints a bit and just you know a lot faster. Doesn't seem like it, but it is. Uh, Constitution to give a 28 out of 30. Uh, same reasonings as the old one. Just seems like he can just never stop. Uh, intelligence, I gave a 24 out of 30. Um, he remembers what Lori looks or smells like. You know. Uh, wisdom, I gave a 25 out of 30. Uh, he finds Lori pretty easily in the end. Like I, we know that he knows where she is. And then for charisma, I gave a 16 out of 30. Uh, He shows a little more heart, especially at the end. And also I think that possibly the masks that he makes are like him showing his personality or what he's feeling like. Because when he's with his mother, he's wearing like the black mask. So like, she like lifts it up, like, oh, take the mask off. And he's like, doesn't say he's like, put it down, like put the black mask down. So he's like in a mood where he wants to be alone. And then it's like maybe like the orange mask he wears when he gets there is like more like a jack-o'-lantern, maybe. I don't know, because it's Halloween, maybe. I don't know. 
Yeah, I can understand that. So yeah, 16 out of 30. All right, cool. This is a villain face-off first. Oh, shit! All right. For strength, the remake Michael Myers wins 29 to 24. For dexterity, the remake Michael Myers wins 22 to 16. For constitution, remake wins 26 to 25. Intelligence, remake wins 24 to 16. Wisdom, remake wins 25 to 20. And Charisma, the remake wins 16 to 4. This is the first Damn. ever villain face-off sweep <clears throat> of the categories. Holy shit. Holy shit. It was close, though. Constitution was pretty fucking close. I'm not going to ask you. Uh, I would like to ask you. I know it's probably hard, difficult to do right now, but if you take my ratings out of it, would it be closer? I'll figure that out. I mean, is that hard to determine? No. Okay. Brooke, let me ask you a question while he's doing that. Yeah. So do you like, because this is one of my favorite things about the Rob Zombie version, is the um, the relation to the mask. So you see that the boyfriend, Steve, brings the mask to his sex session with Judith at the beginning of the movie, right? And then that's where Michael gets the mask. But he yeah. also hides it in the floorboards of the house later. So that yeah. scene where he's actually putting the mask on, to me, is so well shot. You have that ambiance music, and you see Michael putting the mask on as Lori walks up to the house with Tommy. Yeah. What did you think of that scene? Just like the mask... Like the mask from 78 is so iconic, but it's just iconic because it's a part of the biggest movie villain ever. Whereas in the remake, you know, he breaks it out, pulls it out. It has a background to it because he wore it when he did the killings back when he was a kid. And the mask is like dirty. He puts it on, then he pulls the knife, and the knife is fucking huge, too. And rusty. And Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah, yeah rusty. And, uh, yeah, just so much more meaning in the, the remake. For sure. <laughs> I feel like they put so much more emphasis on the mask itself in the remake versus yeah. the original, where it's like, oh, these he broke into a hardware store and stole a couple Halloween masks, a knife, and some tape. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it's almost like in the you know Rob Zombie's version is like he's fully come full circle. He's home. He has his mask. That's what he's been doing this entire time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So it makes no difference, Josh, to answer your question. <sighs> really still a sweep. <clears throat> the, yeah. The remake would win for strength 29 to 24. Dexterity, 22 to 17. Constitution, 24 to 23. Intelligence, 24 to 14. Wisdom, 25 to 17. And Charisma, 14 to 15. That, or 14 to 5, sorry. That makes me so happy. I am so glad. So <laughs> what that means to me is that despite I was on here for three and a half hours defending Rob Zombie's Halloween, it wouldn't have mattered. You guys would have picked Rob Zombie's Halloween anyway. So Yeah. Yes, sir. Fucking A, dude. That's why we're friends. We didn't even need <laughs> you on here. 
Sorry, I fucked up your whole format. I made the episode run long. You didn't even need me, except for the Miller Lights. That's right. It's true. Mm. All right, Josh, you want to take a second before we end this to plug your own podcast once more? Well, of course. I love talking about me. Hey, look, I'm one-third of the Horror Movie Crew podcast. You can check us out on all major podcast platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Fuck Twitter. Uh, but we're on there, of course. You got to be. <laughs> but you can listen to us on Apple, Google, Stitcher. Uh, I think we might even fucking be on Amazon at this point. I don't know. But nonetheless, we're out there if you want to listen to us. Um, we got There's three of us. We get every fucking viewpoint you can imagine, and we dissect horror movies for two hours, basically. That's what we do. We love it. We have a good time doing it. If you like these two fucks from Canada, you'll love us from Ohio. So, hey, <laughs> give us a shot. Horror Movie Crew Podcast. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Josh. Um, I know it's been kind of a fuck around with technical issues. and But, uh, yeah, we appreciate you coming on and talking about these two great movies. I appreciate and, uh, you having me, dude. And I will say from the bottom of my heart, dude, it's been insane. We So we started in May. We thought, hey, we're going to start this horror horror movie podcast, and we're going to be the only ones out there. And then we got on social media, and we found all these other horror movie podcasts. And it was like, <laughs> holy shit. Like, there is a fucking ton of yeah. horror movie podcasts. And I started reaching out to people and picking people's brains. And I'll be honest, dude, the horror movie community is – insane it's like nothing else like mm -hmm. you guys i reached out to you guys and you guys were cool as shit you guys could have been like fuck you you're taking our viewers it's a competition but dude, you guys have been awesome and i really appreciate everything you guys have done for me for the horror movie crew and i i really appreciate your guys's take on horror movies and just the fact that we're able to do this and have fun with it and we can get on here. And honestly, Mark, you and I talk probably every day and we give each other shit constantly. So, <laughs> you know, not to get too sappy, but seriously, thank you guys. It's, you know, in, in the world we live in now, it's good to be able to find friends, you know, that far in another country. And we can talk about shit. Mm -hmm. We love, which is horror movies and, and have a good time with, even though sometimes we disagree, but you know what? Yeah. I think this is proof that we can fucking work it out, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. for sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we've talked about it with other people before, too. Like, it's crazy how doing this whole podcasting thing has brought in a whole bunch of people from all over the world together. Like, we got you guys. We got the dudes from Porcelain Peak. We got Michael, who's uh, down in the States, too. Um, we got Daniel, who's all the way across the fucking world down in Australia. We got the guys from radio nasties who are in, uh, the UK. Like it's, it's crazy how it brings us all together. And like, this is social media done right. In my opinion, like it's bringing all these different people yeah. together from all over the world. hundred percent have, who Especially have during the times that we're going through right now. Yeah, exactly. And we all have the love for horror and the love for movies in general. And yeah, obviously opinions are going to differ, but that's what makes everything so interesting, right? Like everybody's like horror movies are so, I don't know, like everybody has their own different opinions on every single movie. And it's nice to hear everybody's thoughts and opinions on everything. But yeah, yeah we are definitely happy to have you on our show. You've had us on, on yours, I should say. Uh, 
and I think there's going to be a lot more collaborations in the future. Yeah, well, to get your other two uh, buddies on on uh, R&Rs too and chat it up. I look forward yes. to it. Thank you, guys. We appreciate everything you guys have done for us, so thank you. Hey, you You're welcome, man. Thank you. All right. As for us, you guys can find us on Instagram at a podcast on Elm Street. A podcast on Elm Street. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you click the link in our bios on Instagram, you can find links to our uh, Patreon account where if you join for this month, you'll get a Patreon patrons only episode which is dropping later on this week before halloween um you'll also see a link to our t public account if you want to buy some merch from us um josh i'm expecting you to do this once i do it buy our merch motherfucker Yeah, buy our shit. I mean, fuck, we're about to give a, a hoodie, a t-shirt, and a mug away tomorrow. So I hope you idiots got fucking in, you know, in, entered. Do it. I'm fucking I'm win- 24 millilites deep, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm winning all three of those. Nope, I guarantee that doesn't happen. <laughs> Next time we record, I'm going to be sipping my beer out of the mug while wearing the sweater. Dude, I would record with you fuckers every month. Let's make it happen. <laughs> We'll see what we can do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Josh. Thank you to everybody that listens and follows us. Uh, special thanks to our patrons. You guys are fucking awesome. Um, it is 5 to 1 a.m. Uh, Brooke, you have to wake up in the morning to go to work. We all kind of yeah. have to wake up. So let's fucking end this shit. Yeah. And uh, we'll say goodnight. Yeah. Love you. Uh, real quick, do we want to mention... Um, Yes. After our Halloween episode, we're we'll be taking a two break, two week break. Just uh, I'm moving this Sunday to a new house, and just kind of, I don't know. This month's been really crazy for us, so uh, just take a little two week break, get back, and uh, have some new things out for season two. Whenever we get that going. I'm waiting for Josh to say something because he just moved to and they didn't skip a week. Oh, <laughs> shit. You guys are doing seasons. I just moved. My daughter was in the hospital with pneumonia and we didn't skip a beat, bitches. HMC Horror Movie Crew Podcast. Check us out on all of your podcast platforms in normal Horror Movie Crew fashion. I'm sorry, boys, but I got to say it. We're out of here. Bye. See it's like See ya. <laughs> uh, oh, I love you fuckers. That you was too, great. Buddy. That, was that was fun. Awesome. That was fun. What happened to your tall? I thought you were drinking tall boys. Oh, I was just fucking with you. I'm not gonna pay two look at this shit. Fucking America. Two bucks for a god damn this fucking background. Hang on. <laughs> I'll let you see the old dungeon. Dude, fuck, look at this. A buck 99 for that fucker. Well, that's pretty much what we spend on them. For yeah. real? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like 16 Canadian for a six pack. Dude, you can buy 24 of these beautiful beauties here. 14.99. That's fucking insane, dude. A that two is. Four, a two four here is like 40 bucks. Yeah, so fifteen bucks for twenty four of these. She about she was ready to kill me. She was like, "You know what kind of fucking trash I look like going through the drive through asking for a case of Miller Lite and one Tall Boy?" <laughs>
Oh, that's great. So welcome to the family, baby. <laughs>